Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis. No Tim Bielek. Where's Tim? I think he's just at home. Let's Stay- call him. Staycation. Tim Bielek is off this week. He will not be here. He'll be back later. But for today, it's a two-man podcast crew for Cleveland.com on the Buckeye Talk podcast. We should have invited Ari back. Oh. Can we, should we pause and call him? <laughs> He would come here. Yeah, he would. <laughs> um, so we have a lot of stuff to get to with you guys. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, there's 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 some moving and shaking happen with Buckeye Talk. We're going to have some some uh, good announcements, I think, coming up. Um, we're really not that far. It, like, I uh, it makes me sad to start thinking about like. Everyone's always like, I can't, I'm counting down the start of college football season. And I'm kind of like, I like going on vacation. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not having like, it's like the countdown to working your butt off. It's like, woo. It's like, no, I'm, I, I want to go to Disney World. So I'm, I'm not, not, I'm not in that boat. I want the season to start. You want the season to start? Yeah. I was at, so Ohio State just wrapped up its three one day camps. And uh, I was there on last Tuesday and last Saturday. And last Saturday, uh, Dwayne Haskins was in there just, like, throwing the ball around with Paris Campbell and uh, Johnny Dixon and, like, had his own personal quarterbacks coach with him, a guy from Maryland named Bryson Spinner. And I was just watching him throw the ball, and I'm like, I'm ready to watch Sky play games. Like, I was – I don't – I wasn't – I didn't walk into the building thinking I was ready, but then watching him throw, I was like, all right, I'm ready to watch and see what this offense looks like. Because it makes me feel guilty sometimes of, like, why am I not counting down to, like, working your butt off? Like, everyone's always like, I can't – I obviously fans think that. But listen, do account – are accountants – or whatever, like, are they like, I can't wait until April 15th. Oh, my, <laughs> I'm going to be up – like I'm gonna be up all night for a month doing all these tax returns. It's like no, it's the. I mean, it's your job. I don't not. Yeah. I don't dread it, but I I like going on vacation. Don't do most people like working more or vacation more. I'm not afraid to admit <laughs> that I like going on vacation more than I like working. Does that make me a terrible person? No, I think maybe I'm not really going on vacation this summer. Maybe that's why I'm in that mode. I'm like I'm going to the beach for like three days. And that's it. Yeah. So maybe that's why. You know I cry when my vacations are over. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 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 I think we probably discussed that before. <laughs> um, so we're going to get to a bunch of your questions here on this week's Buckeye Talk. We're going to talk about the new red shirt rule in college football and how that could affect and should affect Ohio State football. 
We're going to talk about Friday Night Lights. The big recruiting event is this Friday, which is a month earlier than usual. So, like, I, I don't know that we know for sure exactly everybody who's coming, but it's like, why? 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 Why is it on, why is it a month early? And we'll talk about Kata Bates Diop quickly. Will he go in the first round of the NBA draft on Thursday? And then again, we'll get to all your stuff. And I was also going to trot out, I was listening to another podcast and I was thinking like, are, are our personas established enough on Buckeye Talk after doing this since 2015? Or is there room for us to still like kind of adopt like a, like a hey radio guy kind of thing. Uh, no, I think I think change is good. I think if you want to become a radio talking head, yeah, go for it. Because I was listening to a guy, and there are multiple guys like this on sports talk radio. The I'm gonna say ain't to be relatable guy. Oh yeah, I yeah. I write ain't sometimes. Really? Yeah. You're an ain't to be relatable guy. Uh, I've done it like once or twice, maybe. I do prefer, I was, talking, I was talking with somebody about this the other day. I was talking with Ari about this the other day and like, um, how some people just inject big words into their stories to make them seem smarter while at the same time making their stories more difficult to read. Yeah. I prefer to write how I talk, which is yeah. super refined, but I also don't say ain't every yeah. day. So you write it? But I did, I think I did write it. I think I've maybe written it like twice over the last six months. But for grand effect, like... Ain't gonna happen. Like that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like pur- yeah. purposeful grand effect. Yes. And and listen, I understand that some people say that. It's fine. I mean, people it's, it's about communication. People know what you're saying when you say that. But I don't like relatable sports talk guy who who starts saying ain't to show like, hey man. And then usually most of the time that guy's like <laughs> like does a little like a thing that I don't think is real. It's like he does a little inflection in his voice, and it's like I don't know what to tell you about the Ohio State quarterback situation this fall, but I can tell you this, ain't going to be Joe Burrow. (laughs) Only time's going to tell what's going to happen. But I'll tell you what, it ain't going to be a problem. (laughs) And it ain't going to be Michigan taking down the Buckeyes because they ain't got the defense to do. Is that like like you? Yeah, yeah. I I was listening to a guy today. It was driving me crazy. Like, if you really talk like that, that's fine. It's about communication. Some people really talk like that. I don't think this guy really talked like that. You want to say who it is? No. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what his name is. He's the ain't-to-be-relatable guy. Um, you wrote about the red shirts. Yeah. Rule change was announced last week after the last podcast. And like a lot of things, I feel like... The initial reaction to it was like, ooh, like, this is good. It's going to do – and I think there's no – I don't think there's a bad part of it. I actually don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. At least – and I don't know what it's going to mean. Like, if you're terrible – and we can get into this. If you're terrible, if you're 2-10 and 10, and you basically turn, like, the last third of your season into, like, sorry, seniors – you're not going to play anymore. Yeah. I'm going to play all these freshmen who are going to retain eligibility. And, like, I think that would be weird because college football is a finite thing and you're not paid. And, like, you know, it's not like, oh, well, the heck with this guy. Um, like, he's going to be a free agent. We don't care. He's not going to be around. It's like he was in your program for four years and he finally got to be a senior and you guys aren't as good as you hoped. But now you're just going to bench him because all of a sudden – 
you can play four or five games and it doesn't count against your eligibility. So it's like, see you later, seniors. It's a different discussion for bad teams, but for good teams, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't think that it's going to like fundamentally change how Urban Meyer treats his first-year players. Uh, I think I mostly agree with that. Um, the rule is you can play four games without losing a year of eligibility. Um, the only thing you can't do is, say, and Ohio State wouldn't do this, um, but say you're, I don't know, you're a team that's not in the playoff, but you're playing a bowl game that's after January 1st, and you have an early enrolled freshman that you want to play. You are allowed to play that kid, but you can't play him and keep his year of eligibility. Like, if he plays in that bowl game, he has used up a year of eligibility. Um, but otherwise, you can play a kid four games in the regular season. You can play a kid four games, yeah, in the regular season, and he would not lose his eligibility. Where previously, if you wanted to do that, um, if you played at all and weren't injured, yeah, it counted. Or if you did get injured, if you'd played... What was it? Twenty five percent of the season, yeah. but all in the first half of the season mm-hmm. or something. There was basically if you played a little bit early and got hurt, you could redshirt, but you couldn't just sort of randomly play and be healthy, right? Or could you? No, you're like like Demario McCall last year, right? Last year did not play. I think he played in two or three games, but then right. had like a hamstring thing that kept backing up, and then just didn't play on the rest of the year, right? He can apply for a medical hardship waiver, and I think he'd probably get it. Right. Um, but yeah, if you were, if he had played seven games and then got hurt in the seventh game and applied for one, right. I don't think he would have. You don't but, get one. But that sure. wouldn't be affected. It's not like they they've increased it slightly. How many games can you play now? You can play four. You can play four, but you yeah. can play them any point in the year, which is a big thing. That that basically to be able to play some guys in the back half of the season. After they get better. I mean, the idea that here's a first-year player. He's not ready to play in September and October. But you know what? In November, he kind of figured it out a little bit. And now we'd like to get him some snaps and blowouts. But if we play him now, we're burning the year. That is where the effect's going to come in, right? Yeah, and I think... to go back to your original point, I, I largely agree with you that I don't think it's going to create a, a new world for Ohio State. Um, I do think you'll see most of the freshmen. If there was any – I'm trying to think. I wrote the numbers in the story, but there was the, the 2015 I, class. Yeah, I wrote it down. It was like four of them played. So just as a quick refresher, the last three years, 2015, 21 – of the reg, of the freshmen of the first year freshmen out of high school, twenty one redshirted four played. Two thousand sixteen twelve redshirted eleven played. Two thousand seventeen six redshirted fourteen played. So in two years they flipped it because two thousand fifteen was a disaster. That is that was the effect of a national championship team from two thousand fourteen coming back. Basically, the whole roster was back, and they're just not being room for any young guys. And they did a very poor job of working guys in who should have been worked in. Then 2016, they found some balance. And then last year, they basically played everybody. Yeah. Last year, they just played everybody. Like, Sean Wade didn't play, but that was actually – he was hurt. He would have played if he wasn't hurt. Tate Martell didn't play, and that's very common for quarterbacks. 
and like Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers didn't play, and that's very common for offensive linemen who have to change their bodies and add 30 pounds of muscle. And honestly, if you put them out there with the high school lineman body, depending on who it is, Billy Price came in and could have he did red shirt, but yeah. he could have played right away probably. But most linemen, if you're not Orlando Pace, yeah. most linemen need to adjust. Mm-hmm. So basically, last year, and like Elijah Gardner redshirted in a crowded receiver's room and he was like a not he was a low recruit. And he weighed like 170 pounds. Yeah. So like they're they're already playing anybody, and I guess I guess my question is in this new world, will Wyatt Davis or Josh Myers or Tate Martell well, let's say the quarterback question. Yeah. Will Josh Myers or Wyatt Davis now play a couple random snaps in a blowout game in November, whereas in the past they did not. Yeah, I think I, I do think everybody will play as long as the game situation allows it to happen. Like if they're, I think you only play those guys if you are up comfortably and comfortably. I mean, like up by forty in the fourth quarter, which can happen. You know, they play Oregon State, they play Tulane, they play Rutgers. Like there, there are games out there where that's going to happen. Um, so yes, I think I think everyone will play because what they're What's the downside of that? I don't – well, here's – I guess my question is, is the only reason that you would redshirt a guy – again, injuries aside, injury is a different issue. If a guy's healthy, is the only reason that you redshirted him before was the only reason because he would only play a tiny, tiny bit and I don't want to burn a year of his eligibility – or is there something else? Is there something positive or something that a coach can use with the red shirt year that like whatever the rules say, you're not ready. Yeah. You're not you don't know the playbook. You haven't been doing what and I'm not saying this applies to anybody who redshirted in the past, but clearly there are some guys who come in as first year players and get on it right away and get it. And there are some guys, many, many guys who take a year to adjust. And if you're adjusting and your head's in the clouds and you're having trouble in school and you're having trouble in the weight room and you're having trouble keeping the playbook straight and you're just having trouble adjusting to college, like lots of college kids do, I don't think Urban Meyer's going to play that kid, whether the new rule says he could or not. Why? I guess my point, why would you? Is that like, oh, this guy's magically going to be like – I just, this guy's not ready, but let's give him four snaps in week ten against a crappy team anyway. Yeah, I think like I don't know. I think there's there's a lot of value in seeing a guy on the field. Like he always talks about that how valuable the spring game is because you get to see guys who never played before play in front of a crowd. It's essentially the same thing. Um, I guess if you wanted to argue like you have to it should be merit based and you should still have to earn it, even though technically you wouldn't lose anything by playing. I would buy some of that, but. Yeah, I don't, and I think there's also a psychological component to it too. Like you throw a freshman out there who's clearly not ready, and he gets steamrolled, and like, what does that do for the kid's confidence moving forward? Maybe that's a problem too. But I don't know. I think the benefit of seeing a kid on the field, even if it's for six snaps all season, outweighs all that stuff. I would say one of. It's not. I would say this. This is a true fact. Also, I noticed this by the way. Did you listen? I wanted to bring this up. Did you listen to last week's podcast? Our podcast? No, I did not. So, talking about radio persona guy, uh, I do enjoy doing this, and 
I think you do too, because you and I both did this last week. And it is the, I'm going to speak loudly to make a point, but I don't know if you're going to follow. And it's the trail off to side to say, well, I don't know. Like we're telling a little secret at the end. Yeah. Well, I think all the red shirts should play, but I don't know if Urban Meyer's going to think that. And I couldn't hear it. In my car, I was driving. And I was oh. listening to the podcast, and there were multiple times where you and I trailed off doing like a where I couldn't hear the end of the thought. And we either need to get microphones or shout everything. Yeah, I think there were times where I definitely turned away, like turned away from the recording device, which is just a cell phone. Um, when I was making a point, that's what happened. But did you do, because I definitely did it for effect. I definitely did it. I do. I, I definitely do it for effect sometimes. Yeah. I don't. I didn't listen to know whether or not I did it intentionally last time or not. Let's ask people: Is this better? My my lips are are my lips touching your phone right now? No, but almost right. Almost. I'm my lips are almost touching the phone. I'm gonna listen to this part, Doug. Listen to this part and see how it sounds. Maybe we could do the podcast from now on with our lips touching the phone. I think Urban Meyer's program. One of the top three things about Urban Meyer's football team is you must earn it. Mm -hmm. And people are divided up on who's earned it and who hasn't. There's the blue, red, gold rating system. There's the black stripes. There's the champion's dinner. They divide up everything. You have to earn what you eat. You have to earn whether you get a hot dog or a steak. Whether you did well in school affects everything you do. What you do in the weight room. There's a big giant chart where every person who walks in that weight room knows, oh, this guy's in the best group, this guy's in the middle group, and look at these couple guys in the bottom group. They're not getting it done. So I do not believe in a world where Urban Meyer gives you a hot dog if you don't get it done, instead of a steak, if you have to earn your steak, you sure as heck have to earn your playing time. So I do not see a world mm. where there's going to be a lot of guys who just, and it and it's not necessarily negative. Some guys haven't earned their playing time because they're not putting in the work. They aren't doing what they're supposed to do. I think some guys haven't earned their playing time because it's hard. I think there are some guys who are doing the best that they can do in that moment, and it's not good enough. And so they still use separating groups as a motivational tactic. I don't think it's only punitive when a guy is not in, doesn't have his black stripe off yet, or doesn't get to eat a steak, or isn't in the highest group. I think, I think it's often punitive. I don't think it's always that way. I think sometimes it's just a reminder. It's like, listen. This is the real world. I know you're trying your best, but right now, your best isn't good enough. So you need to find a way to raise your level. That is reality. I'm not saying you're a bad kid, but if I'm not putting you in the top group in the weight room, I am not putting you on the field in November, no matter what the rules say. So I don't think it's going to change that much. Yeah, I think... I think you changed my mind a little bit, but the thing that popped into my head was it, it, I think it, it makes roster management, maybe roster management's for like ego management, a little more difficult. Because in the past, if you were to say that to a kid, 
I think it's a little easier for him to come to grips with it because he knows that even if he played one game, that's it. He just wasted an entire season. Yeah. Now if you tell a kid that, in the back of his head, he knows that he can still play four games and not waste an entire season. And I just don't know, like, managing the psychology of a, of a 17 or 18-year-old kid who you tell him, like, you, you tell him he's not good enough, that's fine, and you have to earn it. But in the back of his head, he knows he, he can play anyway up to four games. I think that makes it a little more difficult to swallow than it would if you know that if you would have played one game, that was the end of your season. Right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. That it's, it's really going to be a point. Like, if they're not, now if they're not playing it, it's like, it's because. It hits you much harder. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And again, but, but also, sometimes they want to hit them. Yeah. Sometimes sure. they want reality to hit these guys in the face. Here is something that I think must change. And actually, this is something that I think Ohio State can learn from Michigan. And I actually think Ohio State is behind the times on this. Because when I think about the Urban Meyer era and redshirt mistakes, and there's a second point. I don't want to – sometimes I start to make a point, then I interrupt myself and make a second point, and then I interrupt myself and make a third point. I'm going to try to stick to one point first, but there's another point I want to make later. But now I can't remember what the second point was. Okay, here's the first point. Sam Hubbard did not go through senior day this year. And I remember watching Sam Hubbard. He was right at the end of the line as the seniors ran out onto the field. He was like like at the front of the line of other players greeting those guys running out. Because a lot of those guys were guys in his recruiting class. Those were his friends. Those were guys who he was on equal footing with. And Sam Hubbard did not get to run on the field on senior day and have his parents out there. Didn't get to give his mom flowers. Didn't get to have Urban Meyer give him a little hug. Didn't get to have his name announced in Ohio Stadium in front of 105,000 people and run out and look around and know in that little moment that all those cheers in that stadium weren't for the Ohio State Buckeyes. They were for him. And the only reason Sam Hubbard didn't get to do that is because they screwed up his first year. He should have played as a freshman. And so here's like, it's like a double point. I think they screwed up. Sam Hubbard is the number one guy that leaps to mind. We, it was a running joke. How many times Urban Meyer on his radio show and in news conferences with us said, Oh, we really want to play Sam Hubbard, but oh, it's like it's getting too late. Oh, he's earned it. He's ready, but. He was moving his positions, and now we don't want to waste a year of eligibility. So they redshirted a guy who they openly admitted time after time was ready. Sam Hubbard was ready. They redshirted him, and then obviously Sam Hubbard was ready to go to the NFL. So Sam Hubbard was at Ohio State for four years, but he left as a redshirt junior. He did not leave as a senior, and he didn't get to go through senior day. So... He also didn't get to play his first year on campus when he was ready. So he got it on both ends. Yeah. He got the shaft on both ends. His first year, he didn't get to play when he was ready because they were trying to save a year of eligibility. His last year, he didn't get to go through senior day because he was a redshirt. So he got it on both ends. This affects the front end. The next Sam Hubbard will now play. If this rule was in effect, Sam Hubbard absolutely would have been on his on the field his first year at Ohio State. Yeah. No doubt about it. He's exactly the guy that you're talking about. That, of course, they're going to play him. But 
there are going to be more Sam Hubbards who don't get to go through senior day because it's going to be easier to deem a guy a redshirt. Because all of a sudden, there's you can play more and there are going to be some guys who may have been classified, maybe not a million of them, because some guys, if you'll play, you'll play. But there may be some guys who play some, right? Who in the old days would have been classified as that was a year of your eligibility. So now in year two, you're a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And so you're here four years, you leave as a senior. Now they might play that similar amount, but now they call that a red shirt, right? And then yeah. they leave after four years and they're a red shirt junior. So my point is, if there are going to be, if the result is going to be that A, more first-year players are going to play, that's good. But if you're going to have a bunch of guys who are not coming back for year five, who are not classified as seniors, because it's easier to retain that year of eligibility, you've got to let the redshirt juniors go through senior day. Michigan does that? Michigan does that. Because Michigan... And the thing that's confusing is most of these guys, you don't really truly get your red shirt until the end. Yeah. So, like, Michigan classifies all – I think this is right. I think this is right. I'm not trailing off. I think this is right. All fourth-year players at Michigan are classified as seniors. So a lot of times you'll see things that's like Michigan has 31 seniors. And it's like they don't really have 31 seniors. They have – 17 players who are in who are fourth year players in their final year of eligibility and they have 14 players who are fourth year players in their third year of eligibility but they call them all seniors until you get to the point where are they coming back or not so all those guys get to go through senior day and then if you come back and you have a fifth year I don't know if you go through senior day twice or if they say well you kind of did it already but I felt bad that Sam Hubbard, when everybody knew he was going to the NFL, he didn't get to go through senior day. And you can't say, well, that's not a big deal because everybody makes a huge deal out of senior day. Yeah. So I think Ohio State, I think Ohio State should have adjusted previously. <clears throat> and then the thing that makes it complicated is, oh, well, now we know that Sam Hubbard's going to the NFL. You know, everyone's going to ask, like, oh, Sam Hubbard's going through senior day. Hey, Sam, does that mean you're – it's like, of course he's going to the NFL. Yeah. Why are we playing games? Right. Why do we have to, like, make it make it seem like, well, it would be a distraction for Sam Hubbard to, like, talk about that during the season? Of course he's going to the NFL. So let him go through senior day. Let everybody who's on campus through four years go through senior day. And I just think it's a minor – like, it's a weird thing to get wound up about, except it's a big – deal and you're denying that to your best players because the guys you're denying it to because some guys every now and then there's a guy who has a year of eligibility but who is clearly not going to come back and play because like they don't want him back Mm. and he'll get to go through but if we if we're all doing the little nfl dance ooh, i don't know if sam harvard's going of course he's going pro let the man and his family have the moment so I just think that's a minor thing, but I think I think Ohio State needs to adjust that. Am I yelling too much about that? No, Is no, no. I don't. I, but I, I'm 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 having trouble connecting the two. I guess I, I agree with you that fourth year juniors 
if they're very obviously leaving, should be able to go through senior day. I don't know why this rule would create more of more players in that scenario. Are you saying that there are in the past, if you just felt like you wanted to play a freshman and then you just played him and you played him and like that was it, he was on to being a sophomore. Are you saying that they might have guys who are going to play the four games, maybe should be able to play more than four, but they're going to pull them back intentionally and create more redshirt freshmen? Well, since there is still a distinction, so I guess the thing I'm saying is how many games can you play now? Four. You can play four. So I think maybe if there was a guy before who played four healthy games, say there was a guy that you just said, you know what? Like, he, he, he didn't play early, but it's the second half of the year. We think he's good enough to help us on special teams. He's playing. Mm-hmm. And he played four games in the second half of the year, and he was was not a redshirt. And he played four years at Ohio State. He was on campus four years, and he was a senior. Now now those guys would be classified as redshirts. So that same player who, who did the exact same thing in the past, he played four games in October and November in the past, in his fourth year, he's a senior. Now, in his fourth year, he's a redshirt junior. And if he's going pro and not coming back, he's not getting to go through senior day. There's a slight chance that uh, there's a, there certainly is yeah. a world where someone who does the exact same thing in the past, they were they were now a senior in year four, and now they'll be a redshirt junior in year four. Yeah, but I don't know. The guy, the guy who you were going to play four games in the past, like just throw him in on special teams because he earned it and you think he'll be good. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we're talking about like two different classes of player almost. Yeah, I mean it's probably it's it's a minor thing. I think that's a minor detail. The main thing is they should let the guys go through. I don't know how many more Sam Hubbard you're going to create, but if you're just if you're making it easier to redshirt. Then I think you're just creating more red shirts. And I think in general, that is a red shirt problem for Ohio State right now. Like, yeah. not a problem on the field, just a, a minor thing in the program. I'm sure Sam Hubbard wishes he could have gone through <clears throat> senior day. He did do senior tackle. So let him run on the field. So, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, but like, they just have to adjust a little bit. So, so. I guess, but I'm trying to think of some the the second point I want to make about this. That's a lot of no. I'm not going to say I'm not going to do. I'm not going to back off my yelling on that <laughs> because moments matter. Like that's the thing. It's like, well, it doesn't have anything to do with winning games. Yeah, but it's a life moment. It's a moment in your life. Yeah, you live however many days you live in your life. Most of them, most of the days your life of your life are a meaningless amalgamation of nothing at the end of your life there are actually very few days that you remember right yeah i bet you remember running on the field at ohio stadium on senior day yeah there might be only a hundred days of sam of any player of any person's life when you're there at the end and you think about the, the moments that really matter i really remember this i remember that i remember that that's one of those and you took it away over a logistical thing, and you're now making it easier to be a red shirt when being a red shirt in some situations for these guys inadvertently punishes them. So you're going to create more red shirts in a world where that red shirt situation punishes a guy that you want to reward. So that's my main thing. Yeah. I, I, will, I will say, like, I don't, there are a lot of guys who didn't get the walk on senior day who were great players, but most of them were three-year players. Yeah. 
I don't off the top of my head, I can't think of many like Sam Hubbard who were denied that opportunity, were a four year player but denied that opportunity because they redshirted. Yeah, it's weird. <clears throat> so that's my other point. Um, we're talking about how much it will change things for a guy like Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard would have played. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to think, like, that stands out. How many red shirts have they screwed up? And because the thing is, so so the way it screwed up Sam Hubbard was he didn't get some snaps as a freshman he should have gotten, and they didn't get to go through senior day. But they didn't get an extra year of eligibility out of him. All this stuff with red shirts, there's a lot of talk of red shirting, and at least Ohio at Ohio State, Almost, not always, and this last class actually is contrary to this. Because yeah. like Billy Price and JT Barrett are contrary to it. But many times if you that that fifth year, either A, if you're using it, you're not that important to the program, or you end up leaving, you end up redshirting and then leaving eligibility on the table anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. Like they 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 wasted a year of Malik Hooker. They could have had three years of him. They only had two, and they really only had one because one year he was a special teams guy. So, but they but and that's the thing about they've been making mistakes with redshirting, and maybe it's going to eliminate those. Like they've just although so okay. Did they make a mistake with Malik Hooker? Because Malik Hooker. Red shirt, had a healthy red shirt year and then was only on campus for two years. I was only played for two years because he left as a red shirt sophomore, mm-hmm. right? So did they make a mistake with Malik Hooker that this would change? Or was Malik Hooker like a guy who played a lot of basketball in high school and was adjusting to the nuances of playing safety in the college game and that like the difference of whether he got like 14 snaps his <laughs> freshman year that he didn't get, does it not really matter? I guess in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. But to say that is also to suggest that Malik Hooker went from basketball player to like the best safety in college football in a year. Like I think he was probably a little better than just a basketball player his freshman year. Now, I don't know. He had Von Bell and, and Tyvis Powell in front of him. And not to disparage your boy, Tyvis Powell, whoa, but whoa. I would leave it open. I would leave open the idea that Malik Hooker was better than Tyvis Powell as a freshman. His first year on campus? Yes. You're insane. No. I mean, you can disagree with me. Oh, I think you're underestimating Tyvis Powell. Tyvis? No, he was good. And I like Tyvis Powell. So you think Malik Hooker, two-sport athlete Malik Hooker, did he play safety in high school? I don't know what he played in high school. All I know Malik? is that when he finally played in college, he was the best safety in the country. No, I know. I, I, I think it's more that Malik Hooker made a rapid transformation. But... So, but he didn't play. He didn't start his second year either. No, I know. So, you're, but he didn't. He didn't beat out Von Bell or Tyvis Powell his second year. But you're thinking he somehow, if he had been allowed to play his first year, yeah, I'm, he would have been better than Tyvis Powell his first year. I think it's possible. I don't know. Like, if you say yes or no, pick one. I don't know if I'd say yes, but I think it's possible. Then why didn't he beat him out his second year? Because they play older guys who are not better than their guys behind them all the time. Wow, I think there's some Tyvis Powell revisionist history going on here. Tyvis Powell! He's really good. He collects footballs. He had a lot of big interceptions. He collects footballs. Great. Was he the best safety in the country? Was uh, was Malik... So Malik Hooker, we knew Malik Hooker was good 
spring of his second year. That that I mean that's when we got that's when we the public got the confirmation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, okay. So you think so So take me through what you think may have happened with Malik Hooker if these rules were in effect. Um like you still can only play four games, and I guess so I, I I think maybe what I'm what I'm getting at is that under the old rules, you almost wouldn't even consider giving a freshman a chance because why would you? Especially when you have returning starters like that. And now with these rules, I think maybe you'd be get, you'd be more willing to give a true freshman a chance to to actually compete for a starting job because even if you do that and he stinks, you can pull him after four games and you didn't lose anything. Whereas if you think like, well, man, Malik Hooker's really good. I think we should really open this up and give him a legitimate chance to beat Tyvis Powell. And then Malik Hooker comes out and he struggles against like, uh, I don't know who they opened with that year. Um, it was a 24 Virginia Tech. Yeah. Uh, or no, Navy. Um, and he come out, Navy's a bad example because they don't throw the ball. Um, but if he came out and like, got torched against Virginia Tech, and you're like, oh, we were wrong. Like he looked good at coming out of camp and he got in front of the big lights and he just couldn't handle it. Well, now you can pull Malik Hooker and you didn't lose anything. But whereas before you couldn't do that. So do you think we're going to see that? Is that your expectation of the outcome of this rule is we're going to see more of that? We're going to see more true freshmen their first year on campus in the starting lineup. Yeah, I think that's possible. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a specific position um, with the recruiting class I have coming in. Like, I don't know. With Draymond Jones and Robert, like, Teron Vincent's going to play anyway, I think. But I don't think you'll see, like, Teron Vincent starting. But yeah, they're just so deep at so many positions now that I don't know. If maybe maybe that's not possible. Like, like that's it. Because it is – a lot of this is, like, you're threading the needle on how guys exactly fit into this. Because it's like, okay, like, Baron Browning didn't start last year. But if he was a top ten recruit in the country, like, of course he was going to play – so he played, but he didn't start. But regardless of the rules, he's going to be on the field. And he was on the field. And yeah. now he's coming back and he's a sophomore. And I'm worried he's not going to play enough as a sophomore. I, I will be – that is not my interpretation of how I think this will impact it. I, yeah. I think the, the possible greatest impact for the team on the field – will be more true freshmen on special teams. Because I think it may have been, to the Malik Hooker point, I think it's possible that like Malik Hooker, supreme athlete, could have run down and covered kickoffs yeah. his first year like a maniac. And they didn't want to burn it only on that if he wasn't ready also on defense to be in the two deep. Um, and then you end up playing some backups and some walk-ons and stuff there. Because that's how – I mean, I, I love looking. I write it down every time they have a kickoff. Mm -hmm. I think we both write it down. We write down everybody on the kickoff coverage. And by the way, kickoffs aren't going to matter as much. So, like yeah. – because <laughs> um, mostly the punt coverage is the defense a lot of the time. Yep. So that's not as it impacted. But kickoff coverage, I think it's always interesting to see the mix of true freshman studs who are – Impact recruits who are just not on the two deep yet, um, veterans and walk-ons. So there's always an interesting mix there. Maybe we'll see more 
true freshman. But again, it's only for four games. Like you can't because yeah. if you love that guy, if you say, "Wow, man, I don't think this is going to affect anything." The more I talk about it, if you love Malik Hooker on special teams, you can still only play him four games. Yeah. Or you use the year of eligibility. So if you're worried about eligibility, you're not – he's either going to help you or not. If he's helping you, then he's helping you. And you're burning the year. And if he's not helping you, you're not going to have him be on there like, well, he's one of our best kickoff <laughs> covers guys for four games. And I was like, whoop, now we're done. Yeah. I just think – I think the major, the major outcome <laughs> – how long have we been talking? <clears throat> 40 minutes. We're like 40 minutes in on my final evaluation is no impact. It's a no, rule I that think, I think is no, I think it's going to have an individual there's, impact there's one, on... Okay, what's the impact? Quarterbacks. Oh, okay, we'll get to quarterbacks. But I do think maybe Wyatt Davis would have played 11 snaps last year instead of zero. That's some impact for Wyatt Davis, the person, and that's great. And I think a lot of the initial reaction to this was anything that helps kids... That helps them play. They work hard for this stuff. They don't get paid. You know what? It's a big deal to get to play. If it helps some guys get on the field when they otherwise they couldn't, that's a win. So there's. I'm not saying that. Of course, I think they should do it. I just question how big of a deal it is. Yep. Quarterbacks is a different issue because we've seen Ohio State has a history of redshirting quarterbacks. What do you think is the impact there? That Matt Baldwin's going to play next year. And you, Tate Martell would have played last you year. You think so? Take me through in a world where Tate Martell was fourth. Mm-hmm. Take me through what you think Tate Martell's life would have been last year if this was the rule. Oh, I, like nothing, nothing crazy. I think maybe he would have. I'm trying to think like what their most lopsided game was last year. Because um, there were only a handful of games, and then Burrow was hurt at the beginning of the year, where three quarterbacks played. Who did they last year? They opened with. I can't. What was that? I was just going to say Rutgers is uh, who's the uh, most lopsided game. I don't know Rutgers. Rutgers. It's always Rutgers. For all we know, Rutgers. I think Rutgers was it eighty to nothing. Rutgers. I don't know. Who did they play before Oklahoma? Oh, they opened at Indiana. That's a bad example. Oklahoma is a bad example. Wait, lean in, lean in. His face is turned. He's looking at a computer. UNLV. Okay. Tate Martell would have played against UNLV. Tate Martell would have played. <laughs> By the way, even though he didn't play, you wrote a four thousand word story yeah, about Tate Martell yeah, yeah, the UNLV yeah. week. Yeah. So like that, and that's probably maybe the only game where he would have played. Because um, it's hard. We were talking about getting the four quarterbacks. Joe Burrow wasn't ready to play then. Yeah. So it was a special circumstance, I suppose. But Matt Baldwin's the third quarterback. Um, I don't think in a normal quarterback room where you have four guys and the fourth guy's a true freshman, maybe that guy doesn't play just because like you're getting really far down the pecking order. But if Matt Baldwin is third and they're up by 60 against Oregon State, because I think they will be because Oregon State's an embarrassment to Power 5 college football. Woo! Um, Hot. I think you see Matt Baldwin in that game. And I think you can see him against Tulane, even though Tulane's better than Oregon State. Um, or you might be able to see him against Rutgers. You sound like someone who's doing some schedule analysis. Yeah. Oregon State is terrible. Ha! Um, we can talk about that, actually. I do think that's an impact. I do think yeah. that's an impact. Because you can pick out the four worst opponents on your schedule and say the third string, maybe even fourth string, but definitely third string, first-year quarterback who you might have redshirted in the past, you can play him for a series in all those games. If there are however 
the the starting yeah. quarterback gets the first half. The backup quarterback. Although you know what, but again, Urban always plays guys longer than people want him to play guys a lot of time. Dwayne Haskins gets the first two and a half quarters. Tate Martell gets. This play changed that. Urban playing guys too long. But I. But do you think the reason? I think. This is, <laughs> I think this is so interesting. Again, it doesn't really have a huge effect. I don't think, but I think it's interesting. I don't think the reason Urban plays guys long is because. He's limited by how many backups there are because of redshirting rules. Yeah, they only yeah. redshirted six guys last year. Yeah. And I've had this fight, one of the biggest fights Ari and I ever had. Not a fight. You no, know, a fight. Was the was the taking Braxton Miller out of games fight that we had, I think, in 2013. And my point is, there are not many games. They now do this 365 days a year. They practice all the time. And games are fun. So you should not punish your best players because your team is so good. It's like, congratulations, All-American. Your team is so good, you only played 53% of the snaps this year. If your team had been slightly worse, you would have played 87% of the snaps. It's like, why is he playing? Because the games are the point. The games are fun. So all those times, it's like, you know what... Life is short, man. College is short. Seasons are short. Games are short. Let them play. Let them play. Let. So that's why I think he, I, I agree with that. And it's like, again, it's like you can get hurt. Hey, I'll tell you what, man. Ain't no guarantees in life. You can get hurt. You could get run over by a bus tomorrow. That's true. Ain't no guarantees. Only time's gonna tell. So... I've changed my mind on Matt Baldwin. Only because they're going to want to see a lot of Haskins, I think, with TCU in, in week three. I think you leave Haskins in for most of those first two games, even if they're blowouts. And I think you want to see Martell, too, because if he's yeah. actually going to be a part of the offense, you want to see him play, too. So maybe I, I still think you see Matt Baldwin at some point next year, but maybe it's like, I don't know, against Indiana, where yeah. you've played a couple of games and you're up big and. and under those circumstances, you'd normally put Tate into the game, but you just say, like, listen, Tate, we want to get a look at Matt for two series. And, and they, we did see the – there is a model, and they used it at times last year for the get three quarterbacks in. It's like JT played, like, two and a half quarters. Haskins played from the middle of the third quarter to the middle of the fourth quarter, and they got Burrow in for the last series. Yeah. I do think one absolute effect is that under the old rules, Matt Baldwin would not have seen the field this year. I'm, I agree with, I'm 100% sure Matt Baldwin sees the field this year. Yeah. Matt Baldwin sees the field this year. I did it right there. <laughs> Matt Baldwin sees the field this year. He said loudly and clearly. Is that a good, that's a hot 45 minutes on redshirting. I just think it's interesting. That's well, 41 more minutes than I thought we'd talk about redshirting. Yeah. It's like we was like, oh man, we we like did a little uh, list of what we're going to talk about. It's like I don't know. <laughs> I actually think that sometimes I'm officially going to stop thinking this. Sometimes I think I don't know if we have enough to talk about. <laughs> and I talk about rules for an hour. Friday night lights is Friday at night under the lights, but it's in June. It's in June instead of July. Yep. It is a month more. What date did we thought – it's usually often around the Big Ten Media Days. The Big Ten Media Days this year are July 23rd and 24th on a Monday and a Tuesday. Yeah. 
Did we think it was probably going to be the Friday before or the Friday after that? Before the 20th. We thought it was going to be July 20th, and it's actually going to be... June 22nd. June 22nd. Can we tell the people the Ohio State response when you had a request? Yeah, I wrote it in the story that I wrote about it. Yeah, Uh, because I didn't realize, thank God I did, I didn't realize until last week that Friday Night Lights was this week, and that's probably a bad look on my part. How did you realize it? Uh, I think someone told me at one of the camps... It might have been like Mark Givler, I think, might have told me at the camp. He, he said something like, oh, they got one more camp this month. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, this is it. They're done. Like, no, Friday Night Lights is next week. Like, oh, okay. Um, it would have been bad if we had missed that. I think we would have picked up on it. There's enough There's enough chatter about it on Twitter well, that we would have well, picked up on yeah, it. Yeah, what was the percentage chance of, like, <laughs> people at, like, in Ohio Stadium tweeting, like, so excited, blah, blah, blah. And we were like, ah! <laughs> like, yeah, like, ten, like, like 10%. S- yeah. Speeding to campus. Yeah, that's, it was certainly possible. Um <laughs> So when I figured, when I found that out, I sent a request to Ohio State and said, like, hey, I noticed like, that Friday Night Lights is happening around a big official visit weekend <coughs> for the first time. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But I said, like, can, can I talk to Mark Pantone about, like, I didn't even say the word strategy, but I said, can I talk to Mark Pantone about the logistics of this, how it changes Friday Night Lights, why they wanted to combine the two? And the answers are kind of obvious when I looked them up myself after the fact, but it still would have been nice to have Ohio State lend a voice to that. And the response I got was, Mark is flattered Mark is flattered by the request, but would prefer to not talk strategy. <laughs> and the problem is, we love to yeah. talk recruiting strategy. Yeah. All we want to do in recruiting is talk about strategy. Well, it's like, I get it, I guess, but you don't think the rest of college football is going to notice when like you're holding Friday Night Lights next week? But they don't. Yeah. So, but everyone's going to do this next year. If there are yeah. some teams still doing it this year, but everyone's going to do it next year. So, do you know who else has moved it up? As far as you, oh, know? I don't. I, I'm not that good of a reporter. I, all I know is that like Penn State has won this weekend, when I think normally they would not. Now I looked at their official visitors list, and they don't seem to have any coming in, but they are having a camp this weekend. Okay. And I don't know. Their big summer thing is called Lash Bash. It's like their version of Friday Night Lights is called Lash Bash. It's the name of their football building. Um, and it's typically in the middle of July, but now the middle of July is a dead period and you can't have that. So I don't know. I tried to find out yesterday what they're doing and I couldn't get an answer. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what other programs are. But, but Florida, for instance, where Friday Night Lights originated, they still do it even though Overmeyer left. Their Friday Night Lights is July 27th, which is the Friday after Big Ten Media Days because the dead period runs from – June 25th to July 24th. It used, oh. to, it used to end in mid-July, and now it, because of the new recruiting calendar where you can do spring official visits and there's a December signing period, the dead period has been extended until the third week of July. So kids can be on their official visits in June for this Friday Night Lights on Friday. Yes. The rule with official visits in the spring is they start on April 1st and they run – this is going to be confusing. They run through the Sunday before the last Wednesday in June. So next Wednesday is the last Wednesday in June, which means they can have official visits through this Sunday. Okay. So this is absolutely a, a reflection of the entire recruiting calendar moving up. Spring official visits was a big deal. It used to be you could not take an official visit until September 1st, right? Until your high, Until your senior year started. Until your senior year started. So we have moved up. It used to be everybody's official visits were in the fall Mm -hmm. of their senior year. 
And it used to be that you then signed in the first Wednesday in February of your senior year. So the big stuff could start in September, and then you had to get locked in by February. Now the big stuff can start in April, April, May, June. There is this calendar of official visits in the spring, and now you can sign in December. So all we have done, and this is restating things just for the people who do not live and breathe recruiting, like me, (laughs) we moved up everything. So the idea that Friday Night Lights would move up with the signing period moving up from February to December and with official visits moving up from the fall to the spring, of course Friday Night Lights moved up because they want to get kids on campus, show off this program, put their best foot forward before this dead period, give have Ohio State in the minds of these kids, and they might even get some commitments yeah. off the off off the event or soon after or like in this dead period while kids are thinking about Ohio State and they can't be going to anybody else's Friday night lights to their other programs are waiting Florida's waiting until July to put their best foot forward if there's a kid who is heavily considering Ohio State and Florida with what Ohio State has done that kid can come to Ohio State think all about Ohio State and Florida isn't going to be able to respond for a month. Yeah, and even when they and even when they can, the thing that I think is interesting, an official visit is different than an unofficial visit. You're allowed to pay for the kids to come and their family, first of all. But I also think the experience, and I don't know this intimately, but I, from what I can gather, the experience of an official visit is much different than the experience of an unofficial visit, mostly because they can just wine and dine you and pay for everything. In an unofficial visit, everything comes out of your own pocket. So Ohio State is combining the experience of an event like Friday Night Lights with like the red carpet treatment of an official visit. Whereas Florida on July 27th will have a lot of very important recruits there, but they're not going to be on an official visit. Because you, you, because you can't take out, you can't, this weekend is the last window to get in an official visit until your senior year starts. So actually, this is even potentially better for Ohio State because under the old calendar, they could not combine Friday Night Lights with official visits. Because you could not have an official visit until the fall of your senior year. Yes. And you're of course, of course, you, and Friday Night Lights is before that. Now they can combine these two things. Your official, and it was always be, what's the kids' official visit for? Like, what's it, what are they going to do? It's going to be a home game. Most of the official visits in the old days were home games in the fall. Yep. Sometimes if it was a late offer, kids would be making official visits in January. But, and we've talked about that with Urban Meyer a million times of what it's like when you're trying to like win a big game. Cause a lot of times they'd want it for a prime time game against a good opponent that they think they're going to win. But here at Cleveland.com, we've written about what happens when you lose yeah. on a big official visitor weekend. We've talked about what it's like when you're game planning for a huge game. And oh, by the way, the coaches and the staff also have to simultaneously be recruiting for their biggest weekends of the year. They now are going to have some of their biggest targets, I assume, taking their official visits now. This is their shot with these kids. If they for, don't, for the kids who are ready to decide soon. But even yeah, some kids are going to want to wait till the fall. Yeah, probably, I, I, right? it's not. Yeah, they're they're not, and they and it's not. 
like they're not the smartest guy in the room. It's kind of an obvious strategy. You don't want to host a kid for an official visit in April who's not going to decide until December because he'll, he'll forget about you. Right. So they're only – like they don't have 15 official visitors this week like they might have had last year for like the Oklahoma game. They have six. And they had – I think they had two for the spring game. But what this does allow it, – it, they're building official visits into events outside of the season where you can get – you don't get the full game day experience, but you get a vibe for a game day experience at Ohio Stadium. You get to walk around the stadium. You get to see, like, Friday Night Lights will be a bunch of former players coming back. It's not directly comparable to a game, but I think it's, like, adjacent to that. But also, the coaches aren't being pulled in a million different yep. directions because they're also coaching a game that week. Yep. You get more attention from the coaching staff because on Sunday, there's not, what does Urban say, like awkward smiles? There are right. no awkward smiles on the Sunday after the spring game because you didn't lose. And there are no awkward smiles on the Sunday after Friday Night Lights because there's no winner and there's no loser. So I think that this is, it's smart to do it this way. And I don't know, I'm sure there are other programs who are doing it, but Ohio State, like, we don't want to talk strategy. Like, guess what? Every program is going to do this next year. But they're not all doing it right now. It doesn't they're seem getting to jump a little bit. Yeah. And so if it's like, what are they doing? It's like, oh yeah, of course they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So and, and I also, sorry to cut you off again. The the one other thing I, that that I at least noticed and, and took into consideration when I wrote the thing that I wrote on Monday is that their home schedule stinks this year. Like their home games are Oregon State, Tulane, Rutgers, a bunch of terrible Big Ten, Big Ten teams, and then Michigan. Because Penn State, Penn is State's on the road, road, Michigan State's on the road, and TCU's and not TCU's at home. in Arlington. So I on some level. I think it's more advantageous to host a kid for Friday Night Lights on an official visit than it is to host him for the Tulane game. Where's that schedule? Ohio State 2018 schedule. Cleveland.com. Because we want to give ourselves a hit. We want to give ourselves a hit! Yeah. Um, ooh, this is good. Why Ohio State is moving up Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. Cleveland.com. You should go read uh, that Dude, I have the home, I have the home story. games here. I'm bad at computing. The home games are Oregon State. And this is an order. Oregon State, Rutgers, Tulane, Indiana, Minnesota, Nebraska, and then Michigan. Blah. It's an awful home schedule. And and what is the, they don't do a ton of officials for Michigan, right? Uh, no, it's usually a pretty big weekend. Really? Um, okay. and it's probably even given greater importance now that kids can sign in December. Okay. Um, if there are some guys are trying to flip late to sign in this, the third week of December, I think it is, uh, they'll try to get them to the mission game. If they haven't already, uh, even if they have already officially visited, they'll try to get them for an unofficial. If they haven't officially visited, they'll try to get them that weekend. But there's not a great, I would argue, would you argue, if this is the point you're making, would you argue that other than the Michigan game, the best chance for Ohio State to show off on an official visit this year is it Friday Night Lights or the spring game yes. ahead of any of those games? Yes. Maybe Nebraska, depending on how good Nebraska is, that can be a big deal. And some of these games, like maybe that game will be a night game. Um, but, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm sure because they, like, they had a bunch of kids in like for Oklahoma last year. Oklahoma and Penn State were huge recruiting weekends last year. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the Penn State game was about as good of a college football game as you can see. I don't remember. Do you know, before they switched the TCU, TCU was originally a home-and-home and and was moved to a neutral site. 
Was this the home year? No. It wasn't. Yeah. So this was going to be a bad home schedule no matter what for Ohio State. Yeah. Bad. It's a bad home schedule. It's awful. Awful. If Scott Frost gets something going at Nebraska, I guess that could be interesting. But we've sort of talked about that, that like we've thought maybe the Nebraska game could be interesting a couple years here and they blow them out. Um, and it's Michigan. Of course, they're gonna. They're, they'll be rowing the boat. They'll be Minnesota. Will be rowing the boat. That's true. In Ohio State, it's a big recruiting weekend for PJ Fleck. Um. Okay, so that's the Friday Night Lights discussion. The six you said there's six officials that you know of at the moment. Yes, there are six. Uh, oh no, here it is. I thought I closed the window. Six official visitors. Um, this weekend, and I'll just run them down real quick. Uh, Jordan Battle is a four-star defensive back from St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh. Etinosa Rubin is a three-star defensive lineman. I think it'll probably be a tackle from Missouri. Marcus Washington, a, th- a four-star receiver from St. Louis. He is a top 100 player. Elijah Higgins is a four-star receiver from Austin, Texas. And Jamison Williams is a four-star receiver from St. Louis. And then the other guy is Zach Harrison. Okay. Zach Harrison is also officially visiting Michigan. Um, I think I think his plan is he's in Michigan Thursday and Friday, and then Ohio State Saturday and Sunday. So Zach Harrison won't be there for Friday Night Lights, but it doesn't matter because Zach Harrison like could not give a damn about Friday Night Lights. I wrote a story about him, and people have written about him too. Um, he's just a different dude who doesn't get caught up on all that stuff. So, and he's been to Ohio State plenty of times anyway. He's worked out at Friday Night Lights before. He knows what the deal is. Um, so he won't be there Friday, but I don't think that's a big deal. I think he'd rather avoid it if he could anyway. Interesting. Um, so those are the six. And we had a question about it. I think Doug DeLillo asked um, players who could be on commitment watch. Commitment watch. Um, I would be pretty surprised if Jordan Battle didn't commit. Who's the? He's a safety, but I think he'll play corner here from St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, I think any of those receivers are on commitment watch. Marcus Washington, Elijah Higgins, and Jamison Williams. Are they? Are they? Is that like a? That's three names, like first guy to commit gets a spot situation. So I think they have Garrett. They have, well, the question is how many receivers are they going to take? And they have Garrett Wilson, obviously, who's a five-star. He's number two receiver in the class. And it's a question, I think, of whether they're going to take three or four. And I think maybe they're just going to take three. So I think Marcus Washington, who's the number 62 overall player, like he has a spot if he wants it. And then it's a matter of who do you take after that. And there's Elijah Higgins, there's Jamison Williams, and there's also David Bell, who's a four-star receiver from uh, Indianapolis, who I think they also like. And I, like they can't take all of those guys. Yeah. So maybe you don't see three receivers commit this weekend, but I think you might see one. Now, Marcus Washington and Jamison Williams are both from St. Louis. They're not from the same high school, but they're from the same area, and they know each other. Like, well, they want to commit together. And then you almost have had to like take them both because you want Marcus Washington so bad. Not to say they don't want Jamison Williams. Obviously, they do. But there's just like a numbers crunch, I think, at receiver. They're in on a lot of receivers, and I don't know, short of like Garrett Wilson and Marcus Washington, who else is at the top of that list. But so they do that, right? What do you think of when teams? Because they do that in basketball too. The package deals. Well, not no, not package deals. The old we like you both equally. First one to commit gets the spot, and it like forces a kid to make a decision who otherwise might be dragging his feet. Yeah, I don't mind that. Like at a certain point, you have to do it. They did the the basketball. Oh, I say basketball did that with D'Angelo Russell. I it was like D'Angelo Russell and like Tyus Jones, I think, and one other guy. And Thad Mata just said, like, listen, we like all three of them. We're only taking one point guard first one to commit gets a spot. And D'Angelo Russell committed. Yeah. Um. So I think it could work out. I think it's it's. I guess you take a gamble doing that, but I I have no problem with that strategy. Um. 
All right, let's hit. There are some 2020 guys too. Uh, 20, just just who quick, are going to be before, here on unofficial. Before we move on from yeah. Friday Night Lights, yeah, just uh, quarterback stuff. Brian Maurer, I think is how you say his last name. It's M A U R E R. It's not Maurer. I think it's Maurer. Is a three-star quarterback from Florida in the 2019 class, and we know how much of a disaster Ohio State's 2019 quarterback recruiting has been so far. He's coming. Um, it's not an official visit, and I don't know if he has intentions on working out, but usually it works out that these guys do take part in the camp. Ohio State just has a funny way of convincing them to do that. Um, so I think you could see him throw, and I think if he throws and does it well, he could get an offer and then like can kind of jump to the front of the line in 2019 quarterback recruiting because they don't have a guy yet. Um, Grant Gannell, who looked at their guy for a little bit, then wasn't their guy, is going to Arizona. Uh, Graham Mertz, who is the guy I think they like the best. I want to talk about this guy. Yeah, is has reaffirmed his commitment to Wisconsin and said he's shutting it down. So they have to like reshuffle a little bit, and this Brian Mara kid from Florida is coming in and I think can earn an offer this weekend if he's good. That – Reaffirmation. How how frequent do we see reaffirmations in the recruiting game? That that guy, what's that kid's name again? Graham Mertz. Came out hard. Like he was already committed to Wisconsin and like he came out and like said like, I love Bucky Badger. Yeah. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. That's it. I'm not, I'm stapling my mouth shut and turning off my brain until signing day. And, like, was that directed at Ohio State? And Notre Dame, probably. Okay. And maybe Texas A&M. And, and how big of a deal is it for a quarterback – where's the kid from? He's from Kansas. For a quarterback committed to Wisconsin that Ohio State has interest in, for him to do that. And that's it. Because Ohio State, we know. Ohio – one of the main – we should do this. If we did, like, Urban Meyer's eight-point recruiting philosophy or the, the whatever, like, the, the most important aspects of Urban Meyer recruiting, like, flipping, flipping is a big deal. Ain't no doubt about it. <laughs> Urban Meyer's going to come in at the end and flip your guy. Ain't nothing you can do. But this kid, like, said, that's not happening. When I would have thought that, the, generally, if he hadn't done that, we might have had like another five months or however we are, however far it is until December of like, well, he's committed to Wisconsin, but and then like you know, given the past history, some chance, some reasonable chance, maybe not fifty fifty, but some chance that in the end this kid would have ended up at Ohio State. Yeah, I I don't know how much I believe the door is actually closed. He reaffirmed. Do you not understand what reaffirmed I means? do, but he also committed to them in October, but didn't have a problem visiting Ohio State in the first place. And I don't mean, I don't say that to suggest that he was wrong for doing that, because I think you should be able to shop around still if you're committed. You're making a very important decision. But he decided, he said, I'm locking my door. I'm only doing online ordering through BuckyBadger.com. He's not going to another store. But he's, he's a he's a hermit. He's a hoarder. Maybe he privately still reserves the right to change his mind. But he re- read the reaffirmation. I read it. I read it. I read it. He was coming fresh off his official visit to Wisconsin. He probably had a bunch of cheese. He was picking up what Paul Chris was putting down. Like I get it. 
Do you think Wisconsin asked him to reaffirm, or do you think he just decided no, to reaffirm? He did it on his own. He's coming off an official visit to the program he's been committed to since October. I can certainly see how he would be feeling very good about that situation. But if he's willing to answer the phone in September when Ryan Day calls and says, like, hey, did you see the five touchdowns that Dwayne Haskins threw last week? And Graham Mertz is like, wow, you guys are really opening things up. That's a good offense for a quarterback to play in. Maybe I will take an official visit to Ohio State. I think that's definitely possible. But he reaffirmed. He reaffirmed. Not He didn't affirm. He reaffirmed. I'll tell you what, Bill Landis. If this kid takes an official visit to Ohio State, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to believe anything that people say in <laughs> recruiting anymore. Or on Twitter in general. What yeah. kind of world are we coming? Because it was... He he did the little screenshot tweet of like the he big did. message. Yeah, yeah. That's how you get around the character limit. Didn't he say go Bucky Badger at the end or something? Probably. They're not gonna stop recruiting him. But doesn't mean Bill, he has to answer the phone, but they're not gonna stop recruiting him. But you don't think that Ryan you're, are you saying Ryan Day didn't like go into Urban's office with that in his phone and say, Well, Urban It's over. He yeah. he reaffirmed. Yeah, it's on Twitter. What are you gonna do? Read. Can we read it? Have we read a re, reaffirm? This is our new segment. Yeah. Open for sponsorship opportunities. Reaffirmations with Bill Landis. Have a little waterfall music. A. Ain't no doubt about it. Best segment you're going to hear on a podcast. Bill Landis reaffirmations. <laughs> Do you want to read it, actually? How long is it? It's, I don't know, like 50 words. Yeah. Uh, he said, thank you to every coach that has taken the time to extend an offer to me. This past year has truly been an amazing blessing. I got to know many great people and coaches who have my utmost respect. I am ready to move on past the recruitment process and just play ball. I owe it to my teammates to completely shut down my recruitment and focus on winning another state title. Notice he said another. Oh, humble brag. This process has shown me that Wisconsin is the best fit for me as a student athlete. It is time to bring together the best recruiting class Wisconsin has ever seen and bring a natty to Madison. With that being said, I am completely shutting down my recruitment. Completely shutting down my recruitment is bolded. I didn't. He bolded his reaffirmations? Yeah. How can you not say bring a natty to Maddie? Is that not a thing that people in Wisconsin say? Do they call Madison Maddie? Do they, they call, call national Mad- championships Maddies? They call it Madtown, right? Yeah, the kids call it national championship Natty. I know, but if it's yeah. a Natty to Maddie, how how can you Natty to Maddie? Come on. Well, that's what's going to be on Natty the shirt when, when when he is standing on the stage in wherever, yeah, China, where they're going to be playing the national championship that year. That's what it's going to say on the shirt. No, when he when he is standing on the stage of his high school in December wearing a hashtag Natty to Maddie T-shirt. Committing to Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's going to be? Yeah. All right, so that's I, – I don't know this kid. What's his name? Graham Mertz. <laughs> Graham Mertz. That sounds like a British talk show host. I guarantee there is a British talk show that's like the nighttime talk show. Sometimes you'll see like American stars are over there and they shows. make them do weird stuff. Yeah. Will Smith is like – Will chat, Smith – Chat shows. <clears throat> Will Smith sang uh, – Sang Philadelphia Born and Raised song with yeah, the guy. The Fresh Prince of Bel Air with. Um, and the DJ Jazzy Jeff yeah. came out. What's that guy's name? Can you look up that guy's name? Yeah, I, I want to remember because I watch his videos on YouTube all the time. It's Graham Norton. Okay. Okay. It's just. How, you're not going to trust the word of a man named Graham? Graham Mertz is not a guy. What, listen, when he bolds it, 
A bold reaffirmation from Graham Mertz. That's that's blood. His word is his bond. Maybe. All right, what are we going to bet? What are we betting whether he officially visits Ohio State or not? Oh, man. How, like, uh, uh, do I have to give you odds on that? I mean, I just want to bet yeah, food. I don't, don't want to bet feel, money. I don't feel super confident. I'm just leaving it open that that tweet means nothing. Listen, I've been around a long time. I'm not a recruiting expert like you. And my experience is when a teenager tweets something, (laughs) it's definitely true. Um, Okay, so now I feel like we're going to have to do Graham Mertz watch. Uh, And we could have a Graham Norton video of the week where where an American uh, actor or actress does something silly on a talk show. Those shows are better than American talk shows. They sit on a couch. They lounge, right? They do it panel style. Yeah, there's, there's like it's not just Jimmy Fallon like, yeah. playing ping pong with somebody. Like they're like he Graham Norton talks to four different people at the same time, and it's funny. It's but you amazing. think that's good? Because I don't. Because yeah, I, because if one of them is a bore, you don't have to talk to him. But if it's the only person out there and they're bored, you still have to talk to him for eight minutes. But I just would. I wouldn't want to go on. If I'm on the show, I want someone talking to me. I do not want to be on TV listening to two other people talk while I sit on a couch. I think you're generally on with someone who's like part of the same project as you. Uh, oh, they do a whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Not always, but sometimes. Because doesn't James Corden do that for his because he's yes, a British guy? He's British and, and I think it's stupid. I like, I like it so much better. Really? Yeah. There are a few people I find interesting enough to listen to that one person talk for eight minutes. Especially actors. Wow. That hit a little close to home there, Landis. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's do a couple minutes of KBD NBA. Okay. And then we'll get to questions. Chris Fedor from Cleveland.com put out his NBA mock draft on Tuesday. And I looked at it and I marked it. And. He has Keita Bates-Diop from Ohio State going number 24 overall to the Portland Trailblazers, and this is what Fedor wrote. A team with salary cap troubles, nearly $111 million locked up for this upcoming season. The Blazers need to find a player that can slide right into their rotation. The six foot seven swingman was a late bloomer in college, but entered the first-round mix after a breakout season at Ohio State. Given his size, length, and scoring ability, Bates Diop looks the ideal wing player teams covet at the next level if he can learn to be much more assertive. Is Keita Bates Diop, in your opinion, a play quickly ideal wing in the NBA? Uh no. Like I don't I don't think he's a starter right away. I think he can become one. Um, oh, I'm not talking about like rotation guy. You oh, think yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, like, I don't think he's going to get drafted and like sit on the on the end of the bench for a year. I think he'll be a rotation guy. How yeah. many minutes a game will he play as a rookie? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I'm not familiar enough with how NBA teams use their rotations. Let's, let's say over under twenty. Um, I think like right around it. Like okay, I'll, I'll say maybe a little over, like twenty twenty to twenty five. Okay. Do you think now? I did look at uh, NBA Draft has a consensus mock draft. I don't know whose consensus it is. Consensus is one of those words where you can just say, well, this is what, when I you get everybody's opinions together, this is what they think. It's like, well, whose opinions are they? Yeah, yeah. That thing has Keita Bates-Diop as the second pick in the second round. Yeah. So 
on the spot right now, do you think Caleb Bates Diop goes in the first round? I would be surprised that if I would be based on like some I haven't talked to everybody, I've talked to a few people, I would be surprised if he did not go in the first round. And I think there is some cautious optimism that he will go higher than he's being projected. Like close to the bat not in the lottery, but like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. So if there if that happens, if if there is talk about that or there are some feelings about that, what is it that NBA teams are seeing that would lead them to take him in the teams? Uh, I think the things that Fedor said, he's, he's got a seven foot four wingspan, uh, shoots the three well enough. Like I think he can be between like a 35 and 40% three point shooter in the NBA and can defend definitely three, four, five, I think against against most teams. Yeah. He'll be a, a, a... yeah, he's, he's a versatile, he's a long versatile defender who can shoot threes, which is like, that's the prototype that, that you want in the NBA. So I just think like he can't kind of came out of nowhere. Not out of nowhere, because he was a top 30 national recruit. I think he was on the radar as a guy who could develop into an NBA guy. He just sort of disappeared for two years, yeah. mostly because he was injured. Um, and then just came back next year and just like was not – even for being the Big Ten player of the year, I think was not very much part of the national conversation, which is kind of weird for a guy of his profile, a guy of that profile. Um, but I think they were like when he got to the combine, he didn't work out, but he's done plenty of workouts for other teams. But he got the measurables. He just, I mean, he looks like a, a, a guy who's going to have a long career in the NBA just based on his physical traits. How good of an athlete is he? Probably a little better than people would want to give him credit really? for. I think like he's not, he's not super explosive. Um, but there, like, there were a couple of times last year where he got the ball and he ran the length of the floor and he finished on the other end. You're like, oh man, he moved, like he moves pretty well. Um, so I think he's got certainly above average athleticism. Here's my question. I, I don't disagree on in transition kind of stuff. Um, if he catches a pass on the wing in the NBA, is he going to be more of like a catch and shoot guy or is he going to be able to put the ball on the floor and create his own shot? And get in the lane and, and go at somebody. I mean, there. I mean, the matchup matters certainly. I think there are guys he can post up because that's the thing about post him. up. Okay, yeah, you can play him. I think you can play him at the three, or even you can play him at the four, and he can get mismatches posting up on guys. But the one thing about Kata, and I asked this when I was at the Big Ten tournament in New York, I asked Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson like about like what it's like to guard, and these are two guys who are going to be lottery picks. Yep, about what it's like to guard Kata Bates Diop, and both of them said he can get his shot off over anybody. And he did. I remember distinctly a shot he got off over Jaron Jackson toward the end of that Michigan State game. I he's not going to put it on the floor and, and blow by guys. It's just not his game. And like he's not a tremendous ball handler and can probably shouldn't should improve as a passer too. But I, it's hard to block the shot of a guy who's got a seven four wingspan and has a very high release point. So I think he makes up for that with the ability to just get a shot off over over anybody. So I think like like three point shooter like get to the elbow catch and shoot shoot mid range jumpers. His mid range is great. I I do wonder the thing I wonder about him is I think he's it, it's everything in sports is there's a fine line between ver, there is a fine line between being versatile and being a tweener. Like, yeah. you can either do... Sometimes people think, this guy can do everything. And sometimes people think, well, this guy doesn't really do anything great. So I'm, I wonder a little bit about him. I feel like a lot of times, like, a lot of long wings are really good athletes. Like, they're the, often the best athletes yeah. on the court. 
So if he is not as good of an athlete as some of those guys, and he's not like a pure shooter, like just like a this guy's going to be catch and shoot, and that's pretty much it, but he's going to be deadly if he comes off a screen and gets a little bit of an opening. Um, I wonder if he gets caught in between. That if he's possible. Is he is he not a good enough shooter to be like an NBA shooter? And is he not a good enough athlete to be like a wing who, if you give him the ball, and then you you have to be able if you're not going to catch and shoot, right? You have to be able to do both things. Because I understand the idea of like it feels like if he if he gets to his spot, he's going to be able to release over you because his wingspan's so long, and yeah. he does seem to like release at a high point and has like good form on his jumper. Um, but I just wonder like if you if you get him on the wing sort of in a set and a guy's on him. I don't know like what his move is to like I'm going to take two dribbles and shoot like a little running shot over this guy or and it, or is my three point and is my three point shot so good that I they have to come out on me and I can create some space to get by somebody that way. So yeah. uh and he's just slight. He is he's, slight. He's slight, but I I do he and is he a good a problem, defender. And he had a problem playing through physicality last year. But the the one thing that I that I do like about him, and obviously, like I think about him like in a bubble. Like I don't, I don't know all of college basketball, but what I do know about Kata is that he averaged twenty and ten, and by like the beginning of January, certainly he was the guy that defenses threw everything at because he had nobody to take the pressure off of him. Jay Sean Tate a little bit, yeah. but he largely had nobody to take the pressure off of him. And there was an adjustment period we saw in the middle of the year, but I think he had it figured it out when I got to the had figured it out when I got to the NCAA tournament. Um, and to average 20 and 10 when you're the only guy on your team and teams are being really physical with you, I think says a lot. Did he get tired last year? Do you have any concerns about 82-game schedule? Which is a thing for all rookies. Uh Again, that's more yeah, like about yeah, being probably, slight and probably a little bit. But he also, I mean, he got tired last year playing thirty-one games and playing was he playing thirty-seven minutes a game? Yeah, um, he won't play that those no. many minutes. There's more days off, I think, and his role will just not. It, this minutes won't be required of him that were required of him at Ohio State. And I also think part of the fatigue is the fact that he was getting the crap kicked out of him every week. Yeah, and he will benefit greatly from the space of the NBA. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm interested. I would be, I would be, it's like one of those, the higher you get picked, the more expectation there is with something. Like if you're going to like, if you're getting to those teams that barely made the playoffs and are like not very good and they need somebody to like, they're not like there to develop somebody. They're trying to add somebody to their rotation. Like if he starts creeping up like, oh, he's getting picked like 17th or 18th or something, I would be a little like, "Uh, I I think I would be surprised. I don't know about that. Feeder had him where, 25th, you said? 24th to Portland. If he's going to like a playoff team, if he's going in the 20s, mid-20s to a team that, I mean, Portland was a three seed in the West. It's like, okay, well... As Fedor said, you know, people teams are get, get strapped by the salary cap winner, but that team has players. So they don't need they're not looking a team like that, if he gets picked in the twenties, that team's not looking at Kata Bates D app to come in and be like, Okay, we need something right now to save us. Um then he'd have a little time to grow into it. I would be I would be a little concerned about a team that's not a winning franchise taking him and being like, Okay, well, do something right now. Um, because I just questioned a little bit of the athleticism and the physical stature, uh, and what that adjustment might be like. All right. Oh, this is cool. I'm looking at this uh, 
ESPN mock draft was the grade A mock draft, like what the perfect picks for each team would be. And they have Kata like 29th overall to Brooklyn. Okay. They do player comparisons. Okay. And his are Rudy Gay and Marvin Williams. Marvin Williams was like the second pick in the draft and then was yeah, average. And, and Rudy Gay was number eight pick. Like obviously there's a – I think there's a difference in talent level, but physical comparisons, I think they're – Yeah. He's, he's going to get a bump, I think, just because of what he looks like. I Wingspan think it, I think is it's really hard to pass on that guy with the broad shoulders and the super long arms. Who can shoot? I mean, that's like a that's a thing. Um, hey, make sure you're listening to the rest of our Cleveland.com podcast. You can make sure you catch all of our podcasts at Cleveland.com slash podcasts. And then again, I think you guys know this by now if you're a regular listener, but all of our podcasts you subscribe to separately. And just so you know. If you like Buckeye Talk, we have a whole range of podcasts at Cleveland.com. We have Cleveland Baseball Talk. That's Paul Hoynes and Joe Noga on the Indians. We have Wine and Gold Talk with Joe Varden and Chris Fedor. I listened to their last one about LeBron's options and free agency. They went a little longer. They went to, like I think it's over 50 minutes. It is awesome. It was a couple days ago. If you have not listened to that, you must listen to that. It is great. Wine and gold talk. Um, and I'm sure they'll have stuff after the draft when the draft comes Thursday. Orange and brown talk. Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Labe. The Browns just got done with minicamp. You want to make sure you're keeping up with the Browns. And then Takes by the Lake, that's me. Last week I talked to Dave Zirin, who wrote a book about Jim Brown. We had an interesting discussion about Jim Brown. And uh, this week, uh, I've already recorded it. It'll go up Friday. My guest is Hugh Hewitt who was a political commentator on MSNBC and NBC, uh, Ohio native, huge Cleveland and Ohio State sports fan. So we talked about what it's like for him, sort of like talking sports with all these people in politics, um, and just his life as a Cleveland sports fan. He's like an average Cleveland sports fan who has like a three-hour political show on MSNBC every week. Like he's, yeah. he's a big hitter. But he loves Cleveland sports. So I thought that was a really interesting conversation. That's Takes by the Lake. Make sure you get subscribed to all of our Cleveland.com podcasts. Questions from the people. Okay. Uh, reminder, you can always send questions on Twitter to at Buckeye Talk Pod. Or you can now email them to BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. So I'm going to alternate back and forth between email and, and questions we got on Twitter. First question uh, via email. Comes from Evan Imel, and I think this is a question we've answered before, but I don't know the last time we did. Um, he said, "Who is your pick for an under the radar guy who could be a breakout star in 2018?" Uh, I think it's hard to find under the radar guys because they have a lot back. Um, and I don't know, like, yeah, I don't know if you, you consider Baron Browning flying flying under the radar. I don't know if I do. I mean, it's like, yeah, like yeah. the former like number right. eight recruit in the country, right. and like is Draymond Jones. I don't think Draymond Jones is under the radar, but I think Draymond Jones is not easy to forget. But again, we thought a lot of people thought he'd be gone to the NFL. A lot of people thought going into last season, he was setting himself up to be a first round draft pick. He had the injury in the middle of the year. I don't think he had as, as productive of a season as he wanted to have, partly because of the injury, partly because of other things. Um, he could have gone. He stayed. He's going to be in on passing downs. He's going to be a pass rush threat. Uh, I think he he's not under the radar, but it's like if you think Draymond Jones is good, 
I think it's possible on a defensive line where Chase Young and Nick Bosa are going to get a lot of attention from fans and media and opponents that Draymond Jones could go from like a good player that everybody thinks is good and knows is good to like, oh yeah, he's actually awesome. Like, I think that's out there for him. And and maybe that's not a great answer, but I just, in terms of like guys who might be substantially better than you realize they are. It's not necessarily about an average guy who's going to be good. Sometimes it's about a good guy who might be great. Yeah, he's in a really interesting position, too, in terms of the other defensive linemen in his class, Draymond. Um, but I don't I don't think it's impossible for him to play his way to not the front of that group because you're talking about, like, Dexter Lawrence and... Uh, Everybody's and, and, in on this D-line group yeah, this year, right? No one talks about Draymond Jones when they talk about that group, and I think it's possible he can play his way into that. I think that's possible um, too. That's a good answer. Other other than that, I don't know. Like, I, I think the safety spot next to Jordan Fuller is interesting, but it's hard for me to say who I think could be a breakout star there when I'm not totally confident who's going to win the job. And, and I like I like I think maybe that spot isn't a breakout star. They're just looking for someone who can like be yeah. pretty good yeah. down in and down out. I mean. Jordan Fuller could be a star. I think Kendall Sheffield could be a star. Yeah, I guess I guess but, those are guys who could, yeah. If Kendall Sheffield becomes a guy who's thought of like not quite in the same vein as the guys who've gone in the first round, but something close to that, I think that would represent a, like a substantial upgrade from what he was last year. Yeah. And I think that's possible. And I think it's a point worth noting. Um, and by the way, we, for next week, just so you know, the plan is for us to talk to Phil Steele whose college football magazine is out. The plan is for him to join us as a, as a guest and then for us to sort of go through Phil Steele's magazine, uh, which is a great college football preview that comes out every summer, uh, and talk about what he's thinking about Ohio State, what he's thinking about the Big Ten, where he thinks the Buckeyes fit into the national picture. But you had a, you mentioned something about Michael Jordan, I think, last week, mm-hmm. that again – I think everybody, Michael Jordan started as a true freshman at Ohio State. That's not normal. Everybody knows Michael Jordan is good. I think it's possible Michael Jordan could be great. Yeah, I think so. I think he can – I don't want to say the word – no, I'm not going to say it. I think he can be a, like a first-team All-Big Ten. I think he's in the conversation for that. And, and then if you're in the conversation for that, you're like – I don't know. You're in a very large group to be considered for some All-American list. And you said that Phil Steele had him as potential as the he third is a, best – draft-eligible guard behind – I think the two guys ahead of him were both the guys from Wisconsin. Okay. Um, in the country, not the Big Ten. In the country. Yeah. Yep. Which just – hey – that just tells you all you need to know about Wisconsin's offensive line. <laughs> Ain't no doubt about it. Those cheese-fed boys get it done year in and year out. Ain't nobody going to tell me there's a better offensive line than Wisconsin. I like this question from Seth Shaner. He asked, which of the former Buckeyes taken in this year's draft will have the best career? I mean, the guys who just went a 2018 draft. Who will have the best career? And he says, obviously guys taken early are more highly thought of, but it made me wonder as Marvin Lewis uh, had some really good things to say about Sam Hubbard. Mm. So a quick reminder, Denzel Ward, number four overall to Cleveland. Billy Price, number 21 overall to Cincinnati. Tyquan Lewis, second round, 64 overall to Indianapolis. Jerome Baker, uh, number 73 overall to Miami. <coughs> Sam Hubbard, number 77 to Cincinnati. Jalen Holmes, number 102 to Minnesota. Jamarco Jones, number 168 to Seattle. Those were the seven guys who got drafted, and he wants to know who we think will have the best pro career. JT Barrett. Who's your answer? <laughs> My answer is JT Barrett. Uh, mm, 
I I I think it's Denzel Ward, and I think it's an easy answer because he was the one. Well, I don't know. I think Billy Price is like a ten-year Pro Bowler. That's what I think. Yeah, Billy Price. I've been saying about. I mean, I've said that about Billy Price for like two years. Yeah. So, uh, like, it's like who's better than a ten-year Pro? And like, who else? Who else do we think might end up being among the best at their positions in the whole league? Um, I think Denzel Ward's going to be good. I just. Yeah, is Denzel Ward? I don't. Is Denzel Ward going to be like a consistent Pro Bowler? I don't know that that's where I am right now. You know, like yeah. I mean, how do you know? But um, and that's not questioning Denzel Ward at all. I just feel like Billy Price is he's an older guy, he's a five year guy, he's very established. You know what he is, and he just got cleared. They he tweeted the other day. He's completely cleared for all activities. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, following Bengals writers and stuff, like he's being cleared, like when he steps into camp, when they get back together or whatever it is in July or August or whatever, he's the starting center. And I just don't think that's going to change for a decade. Yeah, my answer is really crazy. The other guys, I just don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I think Jerome Baker can be a very solid pro and maybe even the starter playing next to Rayquan McMillan, but I don't know if he's going to be, you know, something along the lines of like what Marshawn Lattimore and Joey Bosa were early in their careers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Billy Price is my answer. And it's hard because there are some, I think a lot of people on the beat, all of us here at Cleveland.com, we were all very high on Michael Thomas. So like Michael Thomas wasn't among, he wasn't, he was probably, I don't even know where he was in that draft when they're amazing draft first rounders, right? And he wasn't one of them. No, I think he was the sixth or seventh guy taken. But I think if, if someone asked us this question, then like Michael, obviously saying, well, probably it's Joey Bosa or whatever, or Ezekiel Elliott. We would have thrown Michael Thomas in that conversation sure. and been right, yeah, and and maybe said, "I know he's not a first round pick, but like we think he's going to be awesome, and he's awesome." Yeah, I think we did say that. We we had that conversation that year, like who we think is going to be the best pro. And we definitely talked about Michael Thomas. And I think like right now, like who is the best pro of that group right now? Like Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott are awesome. <laughs> I'm not so sure it's not Michael Thomas. I think it might be Bosa, but it's it's definitely a conversation worth having. Like, people say that Michael Thomas is one of the best five receivers in football, right? Is Joey Bosa one of the best five defensive ends? Maybe. All right. The Michael Thomas-Joey <laughs> Bosa podcast is coming up later this summer. It's a very – It's I think it's close. I think we both agree it's close. I don't know yeah. which way I'd lean, but it's yeah. close. Uh, Richie Kybers sent in an email. He says, what is the biggest wow moment or play you've seen in your time covering the team? He says, for example, Braxton Miller juking guy and then running 60-something yards for a touchdown against Cal is one of my favorites. Uh, you've been covering the team about twice as long as I have. Yeah. Um, I'm t- I've, uh, mine, I, know, I know mine. Go ahead with yours. Mine, and it was in a loss, which I guess is weird, but the interception Malik Hooker had in the Orange Bowl against Clemson where he took the ball, I think it was, I oh, think yeah. it was Hunter Renfro. Just like the ball came out of the Sean Watson's hands. You saw the receiver down the field, and he's like, "Well, that's a touchdown because that's a perfectly thrown ball." And then Malik Hooker ran across the field and just stole it from the guy, caught it on the run. It was and apparently didn't hurt with like a hernia. Yeah, um, that was probably the the biggest wow play I've seen. His pick against against Bowling Green, where he ran across the field from like the opposite hash of the sideline and like jumped up with one hand and grabbed it was crazy too, but. The play against Clemson, like combined with the moment in the game they were playing, and I think makes it the biggest one for me. So uh, three are popping to mind, and, and I have a terrible memory. I have a terrible memory. It's like one of those things. There's some people. It's like when you're a sports writer, and it makes it like for easy writing sometimes because it's like I'm just gonna write about a thing I remember, and it's like I can't remember <laughs> anything. Uh, one that comes to mind is 
Troy Smith's pass to Anthony Gonzalez at Michigan in 2005, the helicopter catch that got him down to the goal line. One is the Braxton Miller touchdown pass in 2011 to Devin Smith to beat Wisconsin. Um, And then one is the Curtis Samuel run Mm. against Michigan that set up the fourth down JT Barrett play when Curtis Samuel was trapped and escaped. And you were saying, oh my, I can't believe he just turned like a five-yard loss into a 10-yard loss into a 17-yard gain or whatever it was. Um, That's, I remember like, I'm trying to think of like the things when you literally like, we're unbiased, you know, but sometimes it's not that you're rooting for one team or the other, but, but an individual human being does a thing that makes you say something out loud. I think I did that like the, the Devin Smith one-handed catch like it was against Miami of Ohio early in the year one year. Like in the end zone, he went up and made a one-handed catch. And yeah. went, oh, my. Like I'm a, yeah. I'm, I'm a person who's inclined to say, oh, like that yeah. sometimes. And so like I think I did that that day. Yeah, so. there's been a few. Yeah, there's been. I'm trying to. Uh, I don't know if JT has one. JT had a – what was the one when JT – was it against Minnesota? JT had some crazy plays. Was it against Minnesota up in the snow? He had like an 86-yard touchdown run against yeah. Minnesota. Where like he looked like he was running in slow motion and still nobody could catch him. Yeah. The entire defense was running behind him. I mean there's the JT throw we always talk about, the Devin Smith against Michigan State. Put it right on his hands yeah, the that, was a, that, that, that was just like a really – like it was a great throw, but it wasn't like – it wasn't a, I don't know if it was a yeah. wow. Maybe not in the moment. I don't know if in the moment it was a wow. Like looking back on it, you're like, man, that's a really good throw. I think J- Joey Bosa, like the, oh, the, the tackle the against Penn State. Penn State. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and the Sam Hubbard simultaneously tackling Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley yeah. this year in the moment you went like, oh, he tackled two guys. <laughs> oh. Yeah. There were some good ones. Email question from John. Actually, this isn't a question. It's just a statement. But he says uh, he thinks Ohio State and Michigan should wear their home uniforms. Uh, I agree. And, oh, I, and I wrote a story about Our boss about agrees. He, even, he attached uh, photos of UCLA and uh, USC, oh. which is great. And I wrote a story last year uh, about what, about how Ohio State and Michigan should do that and stop dressing like wolves for the Michigan game. Our excellent sports editor, Dave Campbell, has had that, had that in his mind for several years. And we finally got the story written, and you yeah. wrote it. And it's – I mean – how could you, could you disagree? Well, it was one of, like I didn't want to write it to be perfectly honest because I didn't I just didn't agree with it like or I didn't, I didn't say I, I didn't disagree I just didn't care yeah but then like as I was writing it and I talked to um just talked to Jack Park I talked to Jack Park a little bit for like I call, I, think I called Jack Park like on Thanksgiving night <laughs> and he was kind enough to answer or the night before Thanksgiving um. And like, but as I like did some research on it and talked to a couple people and wrote the story, I was like, you know what? This like I do agree with this. This is right, and I'm glad I'm writing it. But I did not want to write it going into it because I just didn't care. It's just so iconic. Like the colors themselves are so iconic that yeah. it just would look and, and and it would be much like UCLA and USC. Like it would just be such a sharp contrast. And but the and the other part of the equation is. We're asking them – that would be asking them to do something out of the norm and they have no defense because it's not like they're – they're already doing something out of the norm for that game. And Ohio State's wearing ridiculous um, furry camouflage costumes that don't look like themselves at all. Yeah. So instead of like looking like the best of themselves, 
Was there? Did the recording mess up? No, no. I thought my computer died, but it's it's good. Oh. we're at eighteen percent. Instead of looking like the best version of themselves, they look nothing like themselves. It's yeah. very frustrating. A uh, question from Aaron on Twitter. Uh, he says, "I'm clearly not expecting much running from Haskins in 2018, but where would you rank his mobility among previous Ohio State quarterbacks? Is he uh, less mobile than Cardale, but still faster than JT?" He said he doesn't envision Dwayne Haskins being a sitting duck, sitting duck in the pocket, which I think is always a good point to make about Haskins and the quarterback run. And we've talked about it before, but and like putting his mobility sort of in perspective compared to other Ohio State quarterbacks, certainly not as mobile as Braxton. Um, I don't even think. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that. I think he could be Cardell. Like Cardell weighed two hundred and fifty pounds, and when he got into the open field, it was borderline impossible to stop him. Yep. Um, the only reason he would stop because he fell. Um, but maybe Cardell was not always very natural, sort of like at the point of deciding it's time to run. Once he got into the open field, he was a truck, but it took him a long time to get there. And I think maybe Dwayne is a little more fluid in that kind of stuff, more fluid in the zone read, more fluid in the pocket, um, has better feet. Um, but I don't think I, I would imagine that if JT and Dwayne Haskins race each other in a 40 yard dash, that JT would win. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And again, and JT wasn't about speed as much as power. He was a very powerful runner, like a good, yeah. like, um, and it's just funny. It's like, it's, it, for the guys who've really had an impact, I mean, he's, he's going to be not as good as JT, not as good as Braxton, not as good as Terrell Pryor. He's not going to be as good as Troy Smith. Like it, they have had a yeah. long time of their quarterback really being and in the bottom in the end it's just is he dangerous both in called runs and on scrambles is he dangerous when that quarterback starts to move does the defense think uh-oh or does the defense think okay now we've got him where we want him yeah that's a good question that i i i, I still think mostly remains unanswered about him I think it's going to be we've got him where we want him. And now that's partly – that's a nod to how good his arm is. But listen, if you are – to me as a defense, when if, if a play breaks down and Dwayne Haskin gets outside the pocket, I want him to run. Because what I don't oh, want yeah. him to do is scramble and look downfield and throw. Yeah, you, always, you don't want him to do what his strength is. But I didn't want Braxton to run, and I didn't want JT to run. Yeah. I want Dwayne Haskins to run. I sure. just, I, I really think, uh, I will be happily wrong. But I think there's, and this goes back to, I think we talked about this a lot, and I think you and I disagree with this on some level when we were comparing Burrow and Haskins and stuff. I just think Joe Burrow, beyond speed, beyond like strength or whatever, I just think Joe Burrow just looks more comfortable running. Mm-hmm. Both in, especially in called runs, but then scrambling too. I just don't think Dwayne looks all that comfortable doing it. He, whereas he looks incredibly comfortable throwing any kind of ball, anytime, anywhere to anyone. I would, I, I think I do agree with that, but I, I, I just try to back off a little bit, like underselling Dwayne Haskins' mobility. Just because you're not asked to do something doesn't mean you can't do it. And I don't, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to say that he's going to do the same things that JT did, but I think he will be a functional runner. So here's the thing, like the thing that I just wonder about is third and seven pass play. Obviously, I felt like there were a lot of times where third and seven, when something broke down, if the first couple reads weren't there or there was some pressure, 
JT would run and have a decent chance to get that first down. Mm-hmm. I do not think Dwayne Haskins is going to convert very many third and sevens running. I agree with that. Like but I, I will, don't think there are a lot of quarterbacks who can. But except at Ohio State. Except there's not – absolutely, I agree. There's not a lot of quarterbacks who can. Except JT Barrett could, Braxton Miller could, Terrell Pryor could, and Troy Smith could. Yeah. And that's like more than a decade of Ohio State football. And that's what people are used to. Yeah. And that's not what it's going to be. And I'm not saying that's bad. Because you know what I might take? Oh, there's some pressure. Let me move my feet, step up in the pocket, and rifle it. Yeah. To a dude for a nine-yard gain. To a guy who looks covered. But I just I really am I really am prepared for the quarterback run to be drastically, drastically, drastically less a part of the offense, planned and otherwise, than it has been for more than a decade. Uh, we kind of touched on this already, but Tyler uh, Tyler Glime asked, "How do we think the redshirt rule would have affected Tate Martell last year, um, and who do you think will benefit the most from it this year?" We had a forty minute conversation about that. We think Tate would have played probably. Yes, and. I don't know who will benefit the most this year. I think Baldwin. I think Baldwin's probably the answer. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who else it could be. Unless it's like like a guy like Nick Petit Frere who can play four games, but you can still redshirt him. Yeah. Somebody like that. Like you don't I think there are some young freshman offensive linemen who they play because they're quite they're they're ready to play, but they're not ready to play all year and they're not starting. Like Isaiah Prince played as a true freshman. Yeah. But I think Isaiah Prince under these rules might have played four games and then stopped. And okay. you, know, you still have that red shirt here. Maybe Nick, a guy like that can benefit from it too. Okay. Uh, Kevin, there's another red shirt question. So I feel good about our 45 yeah, yeah. minute red shirt conversation yeah, yeah, if yeah. there's this many questions. We answered them. <coughs> uh, Say the name so people can hear their name for their good question that we already answered. I already removed it from my phone. <laughs> the first name was Kevin. Kevin Corbin, I think, is what it was. Uh, Doug DeLillo asked a question. This is a non football question, so you've been prepared. He said, one in eight Americans have worked at a McDonald's. Have any of you worked there? And if not, what was your worst summer job of your youth? He said he used to work in a dairy aisle at his local grocery store. I have never worked at McDonald's. Have you worked in food preparation? No. No, I didn't have – I had like boring jobs, like filing jobs, like a law firm and then another office building. Mm-hmm. But I also, like, I worked at the Philly Stadium when I was in high school. Oh, yeah. And that was awesome. I got to go to Philly's games. I got paid got paid for it. Um, but out of college, I worked at a factory making springs because I was an unemployed college graduate. And that job sucked. It was an hour, about an hour and 20 minutes from my house. I had to be there at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I fell asleep driving there many times, like in the car. Good Lord. Uh, and my job was working in a factory that was the hottest place I've ever been in, just like at its base level. But then my job was to put the springs in the oven to like temper them. So I spent eight hours a day in a super hot building next to an even hotter oven, putting springs of all sizes on this conveyor belt that went through this oven and then taking them out on the other end and putting them in barrels and like sending them along the next place on the assembly line. Wow. But I just got covered in burn marks and sweat for it. it was I lost a lot of weight because I was sweating so much. Uh, but I did that and then I interned at a paper for free at night covering Little League baseball games. And that was my uh, summer after I graduated college. And it was not fun. <laughs> wow. That is intense. Yeah. I worked in a food stand. My first job was in a food stand at an amusement park. 
and we made it was a food stand that had like different windows so we did like pizzas and burgers and chicken fingers and stuff and so um i always had chicken fingers in my pocket in my my polyester pants i would like drop the chicken fingers throw a couple chicken fingers in my pocket and then just eat like pull chicken fingers out of my pants uh during the course of the day like lint covered chicken fingers um did you eat them oh yeah that's gross why would i i'm not afraid of lint there's a chicken (laughs) finger under the lint of course i ate them so i did it was like it was the mcdonald's equivalent uh in an amusement park it was fine uh, Eric Minky said in an email, it said, we have to eat Skyline Chili. I respectfully declined. He said, <laughs> he said, ignoring and maintaining ignorance about a food that is an identity hallmark for a third of the state that you live in is journalistic malpractice. Wow. I agree with that. <laughs> that, I'm on, that take is on fire. Yeah. I don't, I like regular chili. I don't want Skyline Chili, but let's go. We can go. We can go record. I've ours. never been there and it's, I've never felt compelled You've never to gone? Go. Well, it's now like, we have to go if you've never been. Yeah, I should go. I've never been. All right, we'll record it. We can record it. In the name of journalistic integrity, we'll yeah. record ourselves <laughs> eating chili. Um, email question. Delillo also asked about commitments, possible commitments of Friday Night Lights. We hit on all of them. The one one other thing I want to touch on, because there will be guys in, in, other cl- in the future classes there, Jack Miller is a 2020 quarterback who like, has long been considered the guy who will be in this class, will be working out and throwing. I would be surprised if he committed, only because I think it makes sense to figure out 2019 before you publicly take a commitment in 2020. Um, but I think it's possible he commits. Oh, yeah. And um, his teammate, Darvon Hubbard, is a running back in 2020 who does not yet have an Ohio State offer. He's Both those kids play in Scottsdale, Arizona, but Darvon Hubbard is from Akron originally. I think he will end up being in Ohio State's class, and I think maybe if he gets an offer this weekend, he could commit to. Oh. So those are two other guys to keep in mind. Teammates. I always think it's Teammates. interesting when they're recruiting. How many – I'm going to sound stupid saying that. How many high school teammates have they actually landed? They got Cameron Brown and Cameron Babb last year. Um, that is so confusing. Yeah. They're spelled different. And I think uh, – I think there was some confusion as to whether Cameron Brown was going to be a receiver or defensive back when he got here. And this could mean nothing. But when I was at the camp the other day, they, there's a chart on one of the walls of like balls receivers have caught in the summer and the freshmen are on there. Cameron Babb was on there. Cameron Brown was not, which I think means he's going to be a defensive back. Huh. They did have Terrell Pryor and Jordan Hall, but I'm trying to think of other ones. We'll think. I'm sure, there have been others. We'll do a story. I mean, there's a bunch of Cast Tech guys who I don't know if they'll like. I think Josh Alby and Mike Weber came in the same class. Oh yeah, um, Glenville guys. <laughs> yeah, pick a Glenville. Uh, guy. I don't know. Was Tekken Junior a teammate of Troy Smith? I can't remember. Yeah. Were any of the 22 guys from Glenville and <laughs> Ohio State teammates on high school? Uh, Kirk Gominger or Gominger had a good question that I think you'll really like. And maybe this can be the last one. On a scale of one to ten, ten being the hottest. Where are Bill Davis, Zach Smith, and Greg Studrawa? Oh, what a question. <laughs> and he also asked who is being groomed or who would replace Ryan Day if he left. I don't think anyone's being groomed. Um, you know, I had a thought, just like a quick tangent, because somebody else said this on another podcast I listened to. Podcast ain't played nobody. It's an SB Nation podcast. And they said Click Kingsbury might be on the hot seat at Texas Tech. Yeah. And I and I was watching randomly a video of Cliff Kingsbury on YouTube yesterday. It was like a day in the life of Cliff Kingsbury, and he's super handsome. Of course, we're going to watch that. Um, 
And I thought to myself, well, if Ryan Day leaves and Cliff Kingsbury gets fired, I could see them bringing Cliff Kingsbury to be like the the quote unofficial passing game coordinator at Ohio State next year. That's some pre planning. Yeah, that you should get on a Big Twelve call and so, this season yeah. and ask Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff, if you're hired, if you're fired this year, would you consider coming to Ohio State as passing game coordinator? Yeah. Um, I think on a scale of one to ten, I think. Um, Bill Davis might be like at a seven or an eight because he hasn't done anything. Yeah. And, um, and, and like he got hot, like he's Urban's friend. But, but like, I think that would work in the end, might, if that, that's not going to save him. So, like, the, the linebackers have to be better. So, the linebackers didn't play last year as well as expected. Their best linebacker, Jerome Baker, wasn't as good as people thought he was going to be, yeah. and they had they had issues as a unit, and their two losses. Um, and I don't know exactly how, is Bill Davis. Bill Davis has never recruited. He's been in the NFL for twenty five years. So I, is he tearing it up on the recruiting trail? And that's the most important thing for an Urban Meyer assistant is recruiting. So Bill Davis, I think, far and away. And listen, if you're a relative of Bill Davis and you're listening to this. The readers asked me. <laughs> so so you say seven or an eight. Seven or an eight on him. Like I don't think it's, I don't think it's imminent. But if the line, if the linebackers struggle again, and if he has trouble like figuring out who to play, I'm very curious how all this is going to work with Tough Borland coming back. When is he going to be healthy? When's he going to get worked back in? Is Baron Browning inside or outside? They have a lot of moving parts. I think they have some, they have some decisions to be made there. And I think if it becomes apparent that maybe Bill Davis made the wrong decisions in who's playing and they're not playing at the level expected, because they have good options, but you've got to choose the right ones. Yeah. I think that would be an issue. Zach Smith, we, we've long talked about the receivers, I think, often don't produce at the level that people expect in a world where they're they're making cornerback a first-round factory. How can they have like so few seemingly – not so, I mean, Michael Thomas and Devin Smith were second-round picks, but they I, I don't know why receiver isn't the same thing that cornerback is. But Zach Smith recruits. He recruits very well. So Zach Smith recruits, so, like, that's the deal. And then Greg Stadrawa, um, I think he's fine with what he does, and I think we've seen the offensive line recruiting, recruiting take a step up yeah. in the last couple of years in direct comparison to the last – year or two of Ed Warner, and I think that bodes well for Greg Studrawa. Um, so I think I think he's fine. I think I, I don't I wouldn't rate I mean if I think Bill Davis is a seven or an eight, maybe Zach Smith is a four and Greg Stradrawa is a, a two. You know, I just don't I don't know that that's on Urban's radar. Um, because of Zach's recruiting, I think the receivers can produce better. And I just think Stradrawa is probably solid and the recruiting looks like it's been pretty good. Yeah, I think I'd I think I'd mostly agree with that. I might bump Smith up like a five, only because his his position group has underperformed, I think, maybe for the last two or three years. It wasn't just a last year thing. Um, but I wouldn't put him any higher than that because he recruits so well. Um, and Greg Stoudrawa, I think, I think in terms of how good of an offensive line coach he is, I think we don't know the answer to that yet. And this, a year where he has a new center um, – you know, a guy in Thayer Munford who he he's the only one who – Greg Sudrow was the only coach who's had his hands on Thayer Munford, and now he's going to be a starter. I think we'll learn a lot about that. 
learn about him there. Um, but he, their offensive line recruiting is the best it's been since Urban got here. He's a better recruiter than Ed Warner. I don't think he's as good as an offensive line coach, but he's a better recruiter, and I think that might matter a little more. Um, so I have to put him right around a four or a five where you are. And then I, I, I think I would go to, yeah, maybe an eight on Bill Davis. Because I, I, from the beginning, I thought he was a bad fit, and I think that like we got a strong example of why last year. And I don't have any reason to believe it will be any different this year other than like he lucked into a couple of five-star guys who were going to play well, and he might never have anything to do with that. And they can get, better, they can get a better guy. Yeah, I think they get like, a, yeah, I'm thinking like a guy who like actually recruits and stuff. like whatever. I'm surprised. I mean, it's just for as much as Urban talks about how how recruiting is the number one thing for any assistant. I mean, to hire an NFL guy, an older NFL guy who's never recruited, it's like what's up? And they're going more than likely they're going to lose a great recruiter in Greg Schiano. Yep. And you need to you need to replace that with an equally good recruiter. I don't know who that is. And I don't know, but if that means Bill Davis is not your linebackers coach because you need to bring somebody else in to coach linebackers and be that recruiter that you're going to miss with Shiano, then I think that's a sacrifice you have to be willing to make. And and it's one of those things like Zach Smith would never be fired, but it's like, oh, Zach Smith became like the co-offensive coordinator at like a school where you're not 100% sure that's a step up. You know what like, I mean? Like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like even if like he's the – okay, Zach Smith is the receivers coach and co-offensive coordinator but without play-calling responsibilities at Boston College. That's a good pick. You know, and it's like, what happened? It's like, I think, and it's one of those things sometimes, I mean, I'm just, this is just spitballing. Listen, it's a podcast. We spitball. But it's one of those things we say, listen, I think I think it's time for you to, to try something new in your career and take a step up and have more responsibility and, and you know, spread your wings and fly a little bit. And it's it's good for us. It's good for you. Go try something new. I mean, I think that's that's how Urban handled, you know, again, Ed Warner didn't get fired. Ed Warner, as Ohio State explains it, just chose to be Minnesota's offensive line coach instead of Ohio State's offensive coordinator. Yeah. So, miracle of miracles. I do think the receiver is going to be pretty good this year, though. So, I don't, I, I have no, if I were Zach Smith, I don't know how worried I'd be. But let me ask you this question. Why do you think that? <sighs> the quarterback... I don't think this this particular group of receivers is not helped by a hesitant quarterback. So I don't think they were helped by JT. Now there were times where they dropped balls and they could have helped JT themselves, but I think this is a position group that will benefit from a quarterback who does not care all that much about who is covered and who's not. I still have questions about like the elite playmaking ability of this receiver group. I mean, like we've seen Austin Mack go up and get a ball here and there. Um, we've seen Johnny Dixon catch some and turn and go, you know, yeah. we've seen Paris Campbell turn some short stuff into big gains sometimes. Um, we've seen it sometimes. Um, I still, and we've all been on the record. We think Austin Mack is the most likely guy to be a receipt, you know, breakout mm-hmm. receiver. But again, I'm going through, I can go through every position group on this team, I think, and tell you if I was an opponent I would be scared of that guy, or I would have to game plan for that guy. It's like I've gotta, I've gotta watch out for. Uh, no, I can't do it, but you know what I mean. Like I'm worried about J.K. Dobbins. Oh, the basketball team just announced it's on conference schedule. Yeah, and I just don't know. Are you worried? Are defensive coordinators worried about the Ohio State receivers? Um. Oh, they're playing at St. John. Um. 
No, I guess not. I'm worried about Paris Campbell. Cause I just like, he's so fast. He's so fast. I'm worried about so Paris fast. Campbell. Yeah. Um, and I think you can get to a point where you're worried about Austin Mack. So like as a group, it doesn't strike a whole lot of fear, but I'm worried about Paris Campbell. Okay. And I and I don't and I I'm all excited. I'm excited about Paris Campbell and Demario McCall. You know, but you know, I just and all I do, I mean, it's the comparison. I think the the biggest comparison where the Ohio State receivers fall short is in comparisons. To position groups on their own team. And it's like, oh, who on the Ohio State defensive line scares you? It's like, uh, three guys who would, like, give me sleepless nights? Who scares you in among the linebackers? Who scares you among the secondary? Now, there's, there's an interesting time for this team. They have some – but I don't know. I don't I – don't, like, there's potential in – this receiver group. There certainly is. I'm not saying they're terrible, but is there somebody in the receiver group that you're as high on as you are on Jeffrey Okuda? No. Okay. Is there no. someone in the receiver group you're as high on as Baron Browning? No. Is there somebody in the receiver group you're as high on as J.K. Dobbins? No. Is there somebody in the receiver group you're as high on as Thayer Munford? Maybe. But I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's just a comparison to their own team. So that's all. And it's not the as we uh, the bottom line with all that stuff is the bar is extremely high at Ohio State. They want it to be high. Urban Meyer wants it high. Whatever bar we set on this podcast, whatever bar you set as fans, Urban Meyer's bar is higher. So it is not a problem to talk about where you think Ohio State might fall short. And it's not about players or groups or coaches or anybody being bad. It's about them maybe not being as good as they could be or not being as good as you would expect them to be or not being quite as good as other areas or players on this team. And when I look at what they just lost on the defensive line and when I look at what they have on the defensive line and then you look at the receivers, I mean, I can't – I know people love to get excited and I, love, I know people love the group. They're great guys. We're not playing great guys. We're playing football. Hey, ain't no doubt about it. <laughs> Whatever you want to say, this ain't great guys time. I'll buy that. Sorry, I was distracted at the end of that conversation by the non-conference You're schedule. so excited. But I feel like by the time if we talk about the non-conference schedule, by the time the podcast comes out, your post will have gone up. Everybody will have seen it. Yeah. What's the best game on the non-conference schedule that you didn't know about that you're excited about? They're playing Cleveland State at St. John Arena on November 23rd. What day of, is that? Like, what day of week is that? That's like that's that the, that's the Friday before the Michigan game. So it's between Thanksgiving and it's, the fr- it's Black Friday. Yeah, Black Friday. But I want to go shopping on that day. You don't have to go. Cleveland State. They're also their exhibition is against UNC Pembroke, and that's in North Carolina. Obviously, Pembroke is. Like where my family's from in North Carolina. Really? Like my, the Native American tribe that my family is part of is based in Pembroke, North Carolina. Is it at UNC Pembroke? No, unfortunately it's not. But a lot of teams from Carolina, which I guess is like Chris Holtman going back to his Gardner-Webb connections. It's always confusing to me when the name of a college gives you no idea of where it is. Like High Point? Is Gardner a city or is Webb a city? I don't think so. 
So what is Gardner Webb? Just I think probably two guys whose names got hyphenated. Yeah, yeah. But it could be anywhere. I don't think I knew that Gardner Webb was in North. What Carolina is it in? North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. They play uh, IPFW, which I think didn't IPFW like beat Indiana last year or the yeah, year before. I think that might be right. Yeah. Trap game. Trap game. All right, that's it. Landis is like, ooh, you get so excited. Um, When's basketball season? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I can't wait to see if they'll finish sixth in the Big Ten or seventh. <laughs> um, follow Bill Landis twenty five on Twitter. Follow Tim Bielek on Twitter. You know what? Even though he's not here this week, still follow him. Don't like unfollow him because he's not here. You didn't unfollow me. I hope when I wasn't here, they might have. Yeah. Uh, at Doug Lane Maurice, read cleveland.com slash OSU. Make sure you get subscribed. Oh, we didn't do a fart. Tim's usually the fart, the fart, uh, what does it stand for again? Five? Five star appreciation reviews from today or something like that. Yeah. So it's our reviews on iTunes of the podcast. We got a couple. I'll just, I don't want to read them all, but I'll say uh, thank you to Matt McDime, Boo Snacks, AX5, and Jordan Williams 11 for your five star reviews. All five stars? Yeah. All five stars this week? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's the most critical thing they said about it, though? Um, Boo Snacks said that getting a straight news podcast from Bill and Tim made for an interesting foil to the typical show. I think the best format for your personalities is to give a 10 to 20 minute news portion to start the podcast and then unleash Doug. And then he put <laughs> hashtag lay beast. And then he said you can trademark that. Um that would be interesting. Like, you, yeah. what if you guys... He wants straight news first, and then all our shenanigans after that. What if you guys just secretly started saying, like, okay, we're going to record the podcast at, at noon, and then you and Tim started at 11.45? The problem is it's my basement. Yeah. So if you guys you hang out? snuck into my basement, or you could come to my house and start podcasting in your car, and then come in the house... And then have like a good ten or fifteen minutes of of stuff down before I come on. No, let's just do it the way we've always done. It. Okay. Yeah. Um. Thanks to you guys as always. We appreciate the reviews. Mostly, we appreciate you listening. Again, we got some stuff percolating. Um. I will tell you. I'm. I have a degree of not certainty. Expectation. I think it's going to happen. I think we're going to have some kind of preseason live show in the Columbus area. That's just a morsel for anyone who lasted two hours and five minutes. You had to wait for that morsel. It will be... Will the live show be longer or shorter than a typical Buckeye talk? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we can like get someplace. To, they'd be like, hey, can we like do a podcast at your place of business? They'd be like, yeah, what do you mean? Like, 40 minutes be like no three hours um so as soon as we if that gets locked down and i hope i think we'll do something um once we get that figured out we will let you guys know immediately um and it will be again in the columbus area um we've been waiting we haven't done it we'll do some meet and greets or something this year too we want to hang out with you guys we want to meet some of uh the most loyal buckeye talk followers so we'll figure that out we'll keep you posted but for now um read us Follow us on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Tim Bielek will be back um, shortly. But for now, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Lane Maurice. 
that was Buckeye Talk.